once again, it just splits us as another division. And I wouldn't doubt that these people are putting out information to get us to go to one side to believe it's one group, to believe it's, you know, this sort of thing, all that sort of stuff. Authenticity, occult ritual. Stop. Okay. I'm going to edit this. I'm not going to edit it, just to spite you. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Philip J. Watt a little bit later um, about the deep state, everything from the deep state to personal growth and a whack of crazy stuff in between, independent media and the rise of podcasts. And he's over in Australia. It's a fun chat. He's a fun guy. We ended up going on his show. That's on YouTube someplace. And uh, yeah, fun guy. And uh, of course, we got Grand Fun Guy Dunlop over here, too. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Am I a psilocybus? Or you're not quite or that you're fun. Just a fun guy. No? You're pretty fun. You're not quite that. I'm fun. not a cream of some fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I kicked the guy out of the chats. That's name was Sex Predator. Oh, he just sat man. there and never said anything. I don't know. We were causing a ruckus the one day and it just happened. And it turned out it was some young guy from the other chats. And then I felt <laughs> bad. I don't know if he ever came back. I feel bad. Sorry, some young guy. Jeez, well, that's not good to have name. Why would you go into a chat with the name like Sex Predator, Some Young Guy? I mean, come on. Actually, we get into that in this chat with Philip, too, about uh, child trafficking and antics of the deep state like that. Deep state yeah. sex predator antics. <clears throat> yeah. But it's I mean, that, that you know, come on. If you're going to come into our chat, avatar up and, and make a decent name. You know? Yeah. You got I noticed some up. chats in Discord are actually coming up with you can't keep changing your nickname because they can't keep track of people i'm not sure i'm not making that rule i change people's names do you yeah that's not that's not good <laughs> yeah. i can't do that yeah i can jesus that's why we have less people no, in the chat right now it's like real you can't slow do that in there right now because you're just fucking around with everybody so much no i don't think so it's the fourth of july man so what we're talking about is a perpetual chat i don't know people it's kind of it's kind of catching on all over the place i think this discord especially slash chats. Yeah, and you can just get in there and and uh, yeah, it's just there's not a lot of people in there because someone did a big purge the other day of people that never chat. What? You can't do that. What was the people with no avatars that have never chatted? So what? Never. What if they just read the chats? I don't know. I don't. You're allowed to go in and just read the I've, chats. I've I mean, do we have control. to? What? Who's per? <laughs> Is this when you were going through deleting all your own like? Direct message, message oh, groups and all, stuff. Oh, you were all worried, eh? Did you think well, I was Darren fucking, fucking Darren leaves this, Darren leaves that. I'm like, what the fuck? I just went through, because I went into my fucking direct messages, and I was part of, like, fucking 20 so what, groups. So just leave them there. Why do you have to throw that stuff away? I don't know. This is why you can't find your emails. <laughs> I'd rather be a horror. I don't need to be in a group that hasn't media fucking than, than said deleting anything. all this stuff and getting rid of a bunch of people that are probably in there just reading the chats. I didn't and do that. And now they're kicked out. Who who did the purge? <laughs> did you delegate it to somebody else, probably? <laughs> I think poor Grimsteak had to fucking do a purge. And then he, he just it. what he did is he just put them all in his chat room. Now he's got a bunch of people in his chat. That's why his is all active now. Because of the purge? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he gives him an exit message. I mean <laughs> Like let's clear this up. Now you're allowed to come in and just <laughs> no read. Lurking. You don't have to participate. If you're gonna fucking lurk. You got an avatar up, motherfucker. 
then that's that's fine. If you want to come up with a rule to say you have to have something beside your letter on your thing, then fine. Just, Otherwise, I don't know you're not a bot. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say... You don't so, okay, so that's the only rule. Avatar up and then you can lurk. Yeah. That should be fine. That's it. People, I don't... I feel uncomfortable. I, hey, I'm in a bunch of Discord rooms. I don't participate. I bet you don't. But I read. But you have that. an avatar. I think it just... Oh, I think it goes over from... That's right. It's Graham and Grimerica still everywhere. Yeah. It's that weird fucking elf thing. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an elf. It's what a, is it? It's a... What is it? It's a... Like Gnome a, cleric? No. A it's possibilionist? A, it's a... <laughs> It's like a, it's like a, you know, a melee magic user kind of guy. A like C-SETI a, star? No, no, no. You know, it's, what's wrong with that? What's yours? Yours, you can't even tell what yours is. A bright light shining between a... Mine's mine with the sun shining behind me. There you go. So. He's some kind of magic motherfucker. He's yeah. a C-SETI star. Yeah. So, anyway, don't play <laughs> some jingles yet. Hang on. Let's, let's clear this up. I did. So. If you avatar up, you can lurk. So. And then there's a bunch of different channels in there. There's a whack Like of if you want to suggest channels new all shows time. or talk about old shows, it's an in interesting uh, forum. And there's it's, it's, it's a place to be. The Congress can get a little crazy. That's so. Th that's the main <laughs> channel. So when you mm -hmm. go there, uh, Congress but there's a welcome is, message now that tells you all the. Okay, you got all that set up. Well, I didn't. Okay. Glitch tech did. Okay, who's glitch He's tech? See, I don't know who that is even. I always get confused with all the people changing their names to stake this wanna, and stake that yeah, and overdone can... this and underdone that and glitch tech this and <laughs> glitch taco, glitch tech. Are they the same guy? Yes. Okay. Who is it? I don't want to say his name. I don't okay. know. See, we... that, see, that's the thing. So it's anonymous. He's your anonymous. Well, no, I know his name. He's your anonymous chat. He made it. Chat sergeant. No, he doesn't do that kind of stuff. He doesn't do the dirty work. He, he made the chat. He made, he made the, the fucking chat. Discord and handed me the keys when he okay. was certain that I wouldn't destroy it. Destroy what? The chat's accidentally. Our, your own chat? Yeah. Okay. So once anyways, I, this is perpetual. Like it's I always going. My, so I got my chat bearings. So when we're doing live shows, we try to do them every really Wednesday. We're chats this week. We should try and sell the donations this hard one time. That's coming. Yeah. <laughs> so when we do a live show... Uh, there's a live YouTube now, right? We got to push that a little bit more. Every right week we try and do what? Right. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. So do people follow the chats in the YouTube or the, the discord chat when there's a live show? Both. Both, both are going. Both. But both, just so they neither. know, I can't, you guys have to monitor the chats because I can't. I don't really monitor it anymore either. Brody monitors the YouTube. The YouTube chat. Okay. I monitor I'm the not, discord. I'm not even in the primary. Okay. Okay, Brody has to speak in his mic in the intros, too. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's off. <laughs> so anyways, what we do is, before the I show, I unplugged it, we kind of just chit-chat a little bit, shoot the shit, uh, you know, get rid of some housekeeping ramble. stuff and ramble on a little bit, talk about feedback from the last episodes, maybe talk about future episodes, emails from listeners and stories and, and synchronicities and all that kind of stuff. We do this for a little while. We put a stamp in the show notes to tell you where to skip to if you just want to get to the interview. And also there might be even be a, uh, a fast forward button in the podcast player, right? Darren, that skips you to the next thing. Yes. Is that still going on? 50% yeah. of the time. What happened with artwork last, last week? I, I still didn't I, get it in my I, I don't know. What, I don't know. You uploaded it, but it didn't catch or something? Mm-hmm. 
maybe it was snagged by YouTube for I don't various think so. reasons. No, it wouldn't have been or not YouTube. YouTube uh, iTunes. It would have been iTunes if That's anything. That's happened before with almost nude art. But there was there was nothing. Or what was the thing that snagged it before? I think it was a nipple. Really? Yeah. A nipple caught a nipple nipple snagged it in the iTunes. But I don't know. There's no. I can't rule out that it's not. Now that it's happened again with no nipple art, I can't rule out that it's not something to do with the encoding. I have to encode that image into the sound file. I have to put that image into the MP3 for it to show up like that. So, so, so what you're saying is you fucked up then? No, it wouldn't you be me. I do the same process all the time. Sure, it would be that. Sure. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> it would just be that it's not taking, I guess. Not taken? Not taken. Not taken like you, you fucking power bottom. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been meaning to check into that actually to see if the MP3 file displays the art or not. That would be good. Because usually before I upload it, I make sure that that file has a little picture that I want it to. Yeah, you it. didn't do it this time. See, it was you. <laughs> You're making a lot of assumptions <laughs> over there, bro. <laughs> so the, I can't do anything with Instagram until I get that art fixed, just so you know. So Get out a pen and paper and write this down. Or a pencil. Why don't you send some physical mail to the Grimerica Show at P.O. Box 16033. Next line. It's all on the contact page. So we got a letter from our buddy. I'm making a lot of assumptions, but due to the return address, I'm going to say it's our buddy Nikki the Dude, longtime friend of the show. All right, Nikki sends us like quarterly mail in the mailbox. It's awesome. Oh, that cut it in half. Wow, look oh, at this. Good job. We you can got, see he opens it ahead of time. Oh, you got a couple greenbacks in there, too. Thanks, We got a, a Hike Burnium Claremont, Kentucky um, sticker. I'd rather be hiking. May the forest a, oh, be with you. I like you. that. I like that one. Take a hike. Take a hike. River Roots Music and Arts. River Roots. Ooh, look at that one. Oh, this, that nice. could be your tramp stamp. Thanks, buddy. I'm not getting a tattoo because it's a it's a, uh, a sigil. I don't oh, want to yeah. create any magical <laughs> magical. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you could do it, and you could get someone to jack off on your. <laughs> There's some greenbacks. Go USA money. Thanks, and thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Nikki. What do we got here? And stickers. On the road of life, it's not where you go, but who you're with that makes the difference. Thanks for all you do for the community. Intentions set for continued growth and prosperity of Grimerica. Super summer solstice to y'all. Nikki the dude. Nice. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Nikki. Happy solstice to you, too. Of course, we were just hanging out with Nikki. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was awesome. He won the money bomb and the iPad. Yeah. Blessed. Yeah, and he's uh, he's donated way more back to us than that, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, he can come yeah. on the show anytime he wants. Yeah. An open invitation. Oh, you piece of shit fucking iPad. Pardon my friend. Speaking of iPads, so, um, yeah, thanks for the donation, Nikki, again. And, speaking of donations. Oh, speaking of P.O. boxes. Don't you fucking point what, out. What? Uh, Are you a fanny pack? Yeah. You want to talk about your fanny pack? I do. Nice. Except the problem We're is just it's, it's, talk not about really, it's not really... It's uh, more of a satchel. It's more of a man bag. It's more of a European carry-all. Yeah. 
like it's i think i'm gonna wear it over the shoulder just carry it like a merce really because it's hard to get around the waist it doesn't have a clip it doesn't have the old uh, plastic clip on yeah, yeah you gotta get it all across the, the front no, then it'll show my then, then i'll separate my boobs and give me cleavage and stuff <laughs> no you gotta go far shoulder <laughs> and cover your one boob with it Gotta cover my right because it's bigger than my left. So well, gotta do that. That's, one. You gotta start jerking off with your other hand a little. Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big, big fatty <laughs> That was a small one. It's a small one in yeah. Europe. They they do these things pretty big. It's right from Ukraine, right? Ukraine. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't really have a. Anyways, it's yeah, it's good. Very very nicely made. It looks like could it pretty good quality leather. Pocket man, I'm it's kind of small. It. It's not really the pockets aren't really very big though. Oh, it's a fanny pack. Just has some cash. Your phone. No, but your it's keys. not like it. It looks like it looks way bigger than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big bag with a tiny pocket on it. And it's got the inside. Like you stash. can't even fit a wallet in the back pocket there. No, you just cash. put your money and your passport there. Okay. Yeah, that feels better already. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to wear it around your neck like a dog collar, too. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with the fanny pack. But honestly, it's summer, and now... Is there a headphone uh, hole in there somewhere for the no, headphones? Because I have pretty much in the summer when I'm... I have my headphones on all the time. Like, I'm living... You should just get fucking... You should just get the much. cordless little Beats ones. I should one day, yeah. Really the way to do it. I wonder how those work. They're just cordless. You can get the uh, you can get the fucking pod ones. I see people with. They're like three hundred bucks. Though, My uncle was bucks. telling me Don't. today. I'm not pointing. You, I'm pointing up. <laughs> he says he uh, there's a headphone that that sits on your shoulders on your collarbone, <clears throat> and it's just like a thing that wraps around your collarbone, and and only you can hear it, and other people can't, and it's somehow vibrating or sending signals to your ear from your collarbone or from your neck. That sounds super safe. Yeah, weird, eh? I know. So imagine if Who, dynamite? Can, yeah. Imagine wow. if uh, if they can do that. They well, can send anything me. to your head. Like we should figure out how we can tap into that and brainwash people into donating to the show. Yeah. Have you have you had any feedback on those little Apple uh, wireless Bluetooth headphones? Okay. They're would fucking be kinda, expensive, though. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I know. I always look at them like, wow. I know. <laughs> some box seems fucking expensive. Yeah. Especially when you can buy them for, you know, 40 bucks for a decent set that lasts you pretty much. Yeah, and you can even get other Bluetooth ones for like fucking 50 or 60 bucks. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I just don't find that's going to have the functionality. I need the, I need the, I'm always pausing, playing, uh, pausing, (laughs) double clicking for the shuffle. Up and down volume, like I'm always adjusting it, always constantly adjusting it. So I don't want to watch. I break watches, like I, that jewelry just doesn't last. But is that why? See, I that feels real geeky. Just doing it on the watch. I'd rather. There you go. So, anyways, do you want to get into some? What do you want? What do you want to talk about? Listener stuff. going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. You're a real good lip singer, eh? 
I was singing. In See, I was singing so good there. You didn't even hear me. I was in tune with the the quote, the jingle. I heard you in the first part. Certainly, when I socialized with my RAF colleagues, that would be Royal Air Force. I would find that they were a little bit more receptive to the idea of UFOs, and by that I mean perhaps even an extraterrestrial explanation for this, than you might have supposed. One of the reasons for that was that so many RAF pilots had actually seen things themselves. Many of them have never made an official report. I had one chap tell me that he had seen something over the North Sea. I asked him why he hadn't reported it, and he said, I don't want to be known as a flying saucer Fred for the rest of my career. Do you know who that was? Who quoted that? It was a flying saucer what? Fred? No, who, like, do you know who that, this UFO quote of the week is by? Who? Fred? I'm asking you. No, I don't. I don't fucking know. (laughs) He's a past guest of ours. Nick Pope. Bingo. Don't point at me. (laughs) (laughs) Head of the UFO desk at the... Air Secretariat 2-A, British Ministry of Defense from 91 to 94. He was really plugging that. What was it? That book? Yeah, the specific uh, Rendlesham, Rendlesham yeah. Forest, yeah. Yeah. I think that's way back before we started numbering them. Oh, was he that? No, that far back? Oh, Nick Pope from Breton. Yeah. Right on, man. You got what he got. I met him once at the UFO Congress in 2013. It was pretty... You're pretty volunteering? Cool. Yeah. That was weird. That was a good kickoff for this podcast. Yeah, that was have... before we even started this, I think. Yes, right yeah. before. Yeah, that was crazy. So, what, uh, what am I doing now? I don't know. What do you got? <clears throat> you tell me. Oh, I got... Okay, so we were talking about something tonight. Oh, so yeah, this so will be... synchro this shit? Well, it's kind of a... It's, it's only a synchro because of tonight, so... Because of HQ, baby? America D-Ron. America D-Ron. Send me an extra life. Synchronicity. It's time for another... It out. Why are you listening to skeptical on the show? I can't. Um, <clears throat> I can't. You got to do something to uh, fuck to stall. Yeah, because I had to open to open <laughs> up the emails. Right, I had it all ready to go, and now I've lost it. Your process is unbelievable. Right, I'm gonna fix my pro. I, I, I could I, I could try searching the keyword. Guess what the keyword is. Synchronicity? No. <laughs> Man- Mancoon. Mancoon? How the fuck would I ever guess Maine Coon? See, that's not going to, because he probably spelled it wrong. See, now <laughs> this is a problem. Oh, my God. I can't do this. I honestly. I had it open. Wait. See, this is the problem. Okay. There we go. <laughs> we had the new moon okay, dark sky. See, I found great. it. See? <laughs> It's lucky jingle. Okay, come on, turn down for the night. Pow, pow, pow. Okay, so I had to read that meditation, did the singing bowl, and that shit starts happening. Pow, pow, pow. Okay, okay. We started seeing flashbulbs. 
to the dance. See, it worked because I found it right away. See, it was in it. See, how did oh, I got to fix my system here? Blah. Go failed. Grimericans. Thank you for putting out such an awesome show. I found Grimerica searching Randall Carlson content. After listening to a few apps, I started the catalog from the beginning. I'm up to 185, the Electric Universe series uh, with Wall Thornhill. I'm all in. I see a slit in either where Growing Earth fits in with the EU. The two theories don't exclude each other, in my opinion. I can't thank you guys enough for getting these ideas and theories out in the world. I had no idea how little we knew about gravity. You have brought so much value to me. It's time for me to pony up. I figure 200 bucks covers a dollar per episode, more than a fair bargain. I love synchronicities and observe many forest ratings in my own life, though I don't need Darren to confirm the meekness of these friendly coincidences. Instead, I would like to share an experience from my childhood that ranks in the high strange. Pew, pew. Thanks for the support. <clears throat> yeah, thanks Fucking for the support. Fucking episode is commendable. Yep. We only get like less than 1% support of people's support, so we're trying to bump that up a little bit. I had a long, turbulent childhood, as many of us do. Death and divorce are real bitches. Through it all, I had my best friend, Howard, at my side. I wonder if Howard's real. Howard was a black and tan mancoon. Is that There's a dog this, then? Oh my God. It's a cat. It's, a cat. it's the <laughs> best type of cat. I used to have a part Mancoon, part Tabby, and he was the right, coolest. I know that. I know that from watching Kitten his name Party was with Dakota. My kids. His name was Dakota, and he was the coolest cat. Almost <laughs> as cool as Zeus. Zeus probably is, is, is definitely up there as well with him. But Zeus is a tuxedo, which I didn't think were as cool, but they are. Actually. Hey, as long as we're talking about cats, I'll go shout out to Ryan. We're sorry about your cat That's kind of why this is a synchronicity, because you guys were telling me about Ryan's cat died yesterday, and he's upset about it. And then I pulled out this email that I haven't read yet out of my folder, because I do keep these things organized, and it was about this guy's cat. cat. Huh. And wait till you hear the rest of it. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that. Wait. Oh. <laughs> really? Why? I'll message him and ask. It's too late now. You're not going to go back and edit it. <laughs> too bad, Ryan. Sorry, Ryan. <clears throat> it's okay that he's upset about his cat. I was Passing upset when Ryan. Tyson cried, died. <laughs> I cried when Tyson died. Carry on. As the story goes, Howard spent... His first year hooked in my elbow as I carried him around the house saying, my kitty. That was when I was three when I got him. Howard and I had a special bond. He was many times more friendly with me than the rest of the family. He was not the cat Darren has in mind. How, uh, Howard was more than friendly with everyone. He only ever bit two people in his life. My bitch stepmom and, and her even worse mother. <laughs> Howard and I were friends. We could cuddle and we could chase and play. We were bonded. Maybe he was like a familiar. Brody would only get that. <clears throat> when I say bonded, I mean... I'm starting to think more people than I care to admit in the audience are going to get that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I say bonded, I mean in the most literal spiritual sense. When Howard passed, I was in eighth grade biology, sitting at the second table on the left wall on the right side of three people. I don't know who was sitting beside me, but I remember the moment Howard passed clearly. 
Howard had been getting weak steadily the prior nine months. In those last days, he sat on my lap in the evening and laid at my foot in the bed at night. I would rush around the house unsteady after school, knowing any day could be his last and terrified that that day was today. On the day he died, I was calm and I did not look for him as I always did. I sat down on a chair and waited for my brother to find him and give me the news. Howard was curled in the corner behind a door, one of his favorite nap spots, and he was relaxed. We buried Howard on the hill in the back. I felt Howard's passing as if an invisible rope in my chest had been snapped. It felt like the rope frayed, then failed about two feet in front of my sternum, and it felt like it was about three inches in diameter. I did not know what it meant at the time. I think I knew unconsciously, and that was where the calm and lack of search came from. It is as clear to me when I think about it, and though there is no material explanation to support it. He says, sorry, it was as clear to day to as clear as day to me. I know the feeling and can describe it. Doesn't that constitute a real phenomena? The feeling of the bond breaking was warm and soft. Yeah, I'd say it's a real phenomena, even though it's, you know, obviously subjective and it's feeling, but it's real to you. <clears throat> there's some pretty pretty deep bonds with pets, especially cats, I find. Well, I guess people dog people the would say fuck? dogs, but <laughs> You got some nerve, Dunlop. So he says, I <clears throat> I hope I am bonded to many more things in this lifetime. Thank you both for the work you do and the hours of entertainment you have provided. Thank you for listening. Yeah, a good story. And sorry, sorry, sorry about, about your cat. pussies. Yeah. Sorry about your cat, Ryan. Socks. And, uh, yeah. You got any other synchros? Uh, yep. I think I've read this though. This will be the one of these ones. Okay. Hey guys, love your work. I was chilling out today, listening to your April 15th show as I drove home, pulling in the gas station to fill up the car. I was fascinated by the synchronicity tale Graham was reading, featuring the number four. As I walked into the store to pay for the fuel, I pulled out my phone to pause on the podcast, only to find myself staring at the large time display on the screen, 444. There you go. That's it. However, my favorite synchronicity tale is the one where this guy is a vivid dream where he's at a racetrack packed with horses and riders. He senses that he's feeling unusually confident. In fact, he feels positively lucky. At that moment, looking up, he notices in the sky above the racetrack a glowing golden number seven. He wakes instantly. Feeling a strong sense of urgency, the man rushes out of the house and down to the betting agency. Throwing caution to the wind, he boldly walks up to the counter and bets 700 on horse number seven in the seventh race. It came in seventh. Yeah, I definitely remember you reading that before. <laughs> oh, I read it before. Is that a yeah, joke? The whole thing? You read the whole thing before? <laughs> yeah. Even the 444? I remember as soon as he mentioned the golden seven floating in the sky. <sighs> I, I tried it. See, I asked these guys... You, know? you should have a fucking system that you can trust instead of relying on us. Or read the whole thing. I do have a system. It's just not working all the time. It's not 100% <laughs> accurate. I have a system. I just have to tweak it a little bit. Well, the recording isn't working very great. Speaking of that, either, I so. do you know, respond to people's emails, and but sometimes they slip through the cracks. So you know, I do read them all, though, eventually. Just spam grab. Spam the shit out of them. Let's bury this guy in emails. Okay, so I got a... Uh, I got, a, I got some feedback from our last episode from Chase, Chase Joseph. That was Ooh. a really good one. A lot of, uh, and I wanted to ask you some questions about you. You were 
listing a bunch of books you're reading and have read in the chats. You want to get into that at all? And why don't you get some of those authors on the show and we'll dig into some of that stuff. We'll get there. Yeah. Don't wait too long. Why not? Yes. <clears throat> so this is from, um, from Kate. I so tried to reach out to a couple. Hello. Hello. Person with a vagina chiming in. Uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And that's your reaction right off the bat. That's a weird way to introduce yourself. Feel free to share this. So Chase Joseph was interesting. He's onto something for sure, and I pretty much agree with everything he said, excluding when he was dividing up men and women, because I think he's falling into the same trap that most people do, generalizing that all women are like this and all men are like that. To me, the real issue is that most people today seem to over-identify with their genitalia, and think that what you have between your legs affects more than the hormones that we have that drive our reproduction. Obviously, this affects people, but psychologically, people who just are who they are, and it seems like it's more accurate to figure people out based on their archetypes or Myers-Briggs personality type. I am an IF, INFP, by the way. Hey, so me too. It, so it really surprised me that he headed that he tended toward thinking about people as men versus women instead of as personality types, considering the beginning of the interview. As I already said, I don't think it's helpful to think of men and women as inherently different. To me, it's just another element of the divide and conquer brainwashing that we are bombarded with in our culture. I wish people would stop identifying with what is between their legs. I think that is what causes bad relationships. I have a vagina, so I'm like this, and he has a penis, so he's like that. I think respect is probably what everybody wants in a relationship, not just men. Mutual respect and an understanding that you can't generalize who a person is based on physical characteristics is how you achieve good relationships, sexual or otherwise. Do you want to talk about it now or should I keep reading? I'll keep going. I definitely agree that we need more men acting as role models and we need more men in the caring professions like teaching and nursing, just as we need more women in math and science. It's interesting that he has had this epiphany at the age 27, because from what I've heard, humans develop executive function, decision-making and problem-solving skills around the age of 26 on average. That's also the age I think people should wait until before getting married or having kids. The way I made it through the interview is that every time he started talking about what wonder women... I wonder if that's why so many people kill themselves at 27. Yeah, I know. That is that is weird, eh? Hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Especially so many famous people. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows what the actual stats is. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's probably something like that as well. So anyways, the way I made it through the interview is that every time he started talking about what women slash men need, I just thought of it as men and women. And that, then it made sense. Sovereign men and women. I can get behind that. Thanks again for the great stuff. Hey, thanks for listening. That was a good email. Yeah, it was a good email. Yeah. But, but I mean, I do, I do think you, like, I think she might misinterpret generalizing. Like, I think to me, generalizing means like there's a bell curve. Like, for example, there is like, you know, women are more empathic and compassionate than men, you know, in general. That means people with vaginas are usually more that way. And then men, people with penises, are they have a better sense of direction. What the fuck? 
No, I mean, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> that's, that's what you went with out of all the fucking examples. That's, that's going to get a lot of you. What's wrong with that? Look, most of the women I know, excluding my sister, I think, is just they, stop. They, just they, stop. They, they just, no, no, they yeah, don't just, really know their way around like you're men. You're piling it on. No, there is something to that, though. It's, it's, it's probably from the hunting, you know, hey, when we had to go out and hunt and kill for food to bring it back to the to the, the women, you had to find your way around the woods and the mountains, right? It's probably evolution. Wow, yeah. You don't <laughs> listen, listen, listen. No, no, my no. sister, my sister, and I always have this discussion because she thinks that that it's that it's that it's that it's part of our culture and that it's bred into us as kids that you know women are given or or girls are given dolls and stuff to play with and men are given um blocks to build with and cars and she thinks that that's part of why we grow up like interested in these things like why men would be more into math and science but i feel like it's more of a bell curve thing that yes of course women are going to be uh, interested on the on the fringes of that and men are going to be more you know some men will be more compassionate but in general women are better at some things and men are better at others and general doesn't mean like all it just means around. it just means <laughs> a bell curve i feel like if you did a venn diagram there would be a lot more crossover than one person than you might yeah, I think he could have. Brody's probably right. Such Venn a diagram better example show... than sense of direction. Yeah, that was. That's... What would be the best example? <laughs> I'm not getting just... fucking involved. That was just very 80s. Lifting 80s. Stuff. <laughs> it's like, pow, right to the moon. <laughs> well, I, I'm to the moon, kid. Alice, or whatever the fuck her name yeah. was. <laughs> Grammaricamerica.com. Oh, come on. It's just based on my experience. That's That'd all. Being I'm a misogynist. To... No, 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 no. <laughs> Alt rights back, baby. The vengeance. What does that have to do with anything? I don't know. Anyways, thanks for the email, Kate. <laughs> I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> can't wait for the follow-up. Any more? Did you have any more to get to? One more? Uh, yeah, I can. I can dig. I think I can find another one. If you don't have it queued, I don't really want to put I, you on the spot. You they're queued. Really they're just sort of queued, you know? Like, I, I, my system's not 100% perfect yet here. See, some of them are some of them are on the bottom, and some of them are on the right, and I don't understand why. <laughs> Should we just wrap it up then? No, I've got one right okay. here. So, this is uh, more feedback from Jim Lee's episode on Ooh, the history of weather modification and geoengineering. He says, and this is from Jim. Actually, he says from Jim Lee. No, oh. I hope I can say his name. He says, Too "Just want to say the Jim Lee interview out of the park, grand slam. Jim laid it down like a pimp." I've been a believer, but now I have the knowledge to know what I'm talking about. Holy shit. I wish I was smart, as smart and on fucking point as Jim is. This show is a game changer in my opinion. I was a little emotional as he hit point after point. You deserve a fucking award for this one, dude. Really, this is a stone cold jam. Keep it up. Wow. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. It's a good one. That is a good one. Thanks. And that was a good episode. It was a great. Episode. I saw a video today on Instagram with a, a plane. Did flying. you not link to the fucking thing in the show notes? To what? To the video. I had a bunch of people going to the wrong YouTube video and commenting on it. Where's the video? What video? 
the video of Jim Lee's presentation. Yeah, I did. That you were supposed yeah, to link to. Did, did you link yeah. to the right one or did well, you? Well, yeah, of course. What do you think? I'd link to the wrong one. I mean, maybe it was a mistake, but I didn't purposefully link to the <laughs> oh, wrong one. I mean, you were fucking how am I supposed to answer to, that? You were pretty quick to jump on me. <laughs> <laughs> did you link to the right one? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know. I haven't found out otherwise. Prove me wrong. Go check it yourself. I will. I'll check my fucking audio file at the same time. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of both. Anyways, I saw a really interesting video of a plane and on Instagram today flying. Uh, three of the four engines were spraying massive clouds behind it. And I was thinking, well, is that because the fourth engine isn't working? Is it just the JTA jet fuel spewing out chemicals? And then, of course, the comments at the bottom of the thing say, you know, the three, only three nozzles are working, but then it pans back and you see the massive cloud it's making. Holy fuck. Like, it was one of the best chemtrail videos I've seen. Hmm. Maybe I'll try and find it and link to the oh link in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Finding things and linking to things at your strong point <laughs> these days doesn't seem. Anyway, check out America.ca slash support, guys. Um, we could definitely use a few people. We got the summer doldrums. Go over today, sign up for a weekly, monthly, yearly, a Patreon. Um, we do really count on you guys. You're the only source of income we got. We don't want to do uh, paywalls, or we don't want to sell the back catalog, and we don't want to do advertisements or fucking code words or whatever the fuck. We just want to do the show and have you guys support us if you can and when you can. So if you guys don't mind doing that, and when you do do that, I'll send you a link. won't be personalized. Just be a copy paste. It's gonna say have the links and the the RSS feed and the links and the passwords for the <clears throat> um, black budget feed, which is uh, fun stuff in there. We're always having fun in the black budget. Have a great chat in there with Dave Matheson from a week or so ago, where we challenged some libertarianism. It was a pretty profound one. Yeah, and yeah, support us, guys, if you can, when you can. Quick question: what? Do you uh, do you think cats uh, and are belonging soul families with us, maybe? Like, do you think Dakota maybe reincarnated into Zeus? Do you think that that's why maybe they're, they can be bonds and connected, like if they come back into your life? Well, I think m most of my family is convinced that Bailey, our new puppy, is Tyson. There you go. See? Yeah. Wow, really? he was born two days after Tyson died. No way. Yeah. Really? He does the same leg thing. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. See, isn't that interesting? It is interesting. But why do you want to be stuck being the dog every time? When you go from like dog to something else? Well, I mean, just, not like, really. You come back into the, you go back into purgatory and you're like, what yeah. in the fuck, man? I'm sick of being the pet. <laughs> but I guess if you get in that loop, then you'd just be the pet for this span. So then while everyone else just has one life, you get to be like the pet four times. Oh, yeah. Mm. There you have so it. maybe Zeus is Dakota and he's just got different quirks like a tuxedo has over a part mancoon tabby kind of thing maybe because he is different he's different i mean it's weird how cats are so different yeah i and guess dogs, i guess too yeah. and kids yeah especially kids <laughs> they grow up into little weird little things like you <laughs> all right guys support the show please and uh, check out the show notes rate the show review the show share the show tell your friends about this motherfucker and uh yeah let's uh just do all those things. It'd be super cool of you guys to do that. Happy 4th of July, motherfuckers. Yeah. Enjoy the chat. Philip J. Watt. You may listen to this network with assurance that all sources of news will be properly labeled and will bring you frequent summaries of all information available.
right, we've got Philip J. Watt with us tonight. He's from Australia. He identifies as a self-help guide. We're going to be talking about uh, spirituality, and I just finished uh, reading his book, The Simulation, which was fantastic, so we'll talk about that. And uh, he's also got a podcast and website. We'll, we'll get into all his work. It's uh, pretty fascinating. Love his, uh, his take on the world and, and spirituality and self-help. It'll be a fun one. So thanks for coming on the show, Philip. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, the book was awesome. I don't know if you want to start there or start uh, on your podcast, but I mean, we could just you know use your book as a jumping off point. I mean, like I was mentioning to you before we started to record, it's my favorite type of uh, what you what I guess you, what you're calling it a nonfiction fiction, where it, it really was. I was able to visualize this, you know, almost like an idealistic world. And you talk about um, all kinds of stuff in there, you know, from shamanism to spirituality and virtual reality and all kinds of stuff. Maybe just talk about that journey a little bit. Yeah, well, it's, I wrote it as basically a reflection of my own learning and the journey of expanding my own experience of consciousness, essentially. And so it really culminated at the right point where I got to really refine a lot of the the bullshit, the noise that uh, floats around in, in our heads and in our hearts and out in the world and try and get to, you know, better clarity uh, about how we think and feel and act in the world, essentially. And so it does incorporate my spiritual introspection and expansion, my uh dealings with the conspiratorial world, mm-hmm. uh, include, not, including not just conspiratorial uh conspiracy theory but also conspiracy facts yep uh, and all and also with self-help you mentioned i'm a self-help guide well that's how i identify and that's sort of an old way i used to describe myself when i was doing a lot of life coaching i've sort of moved away from that now i've got a background in social work uh working uh with highly disadvantaged or socioeconomically disadvantaged kids adults and families and so I've uh, spent a lot of time trying to help people uh, to come into some sort of coherence in self as well as come so, uh, into some sort of coherence with reality as well, which is basically that spiritual and conspiratorial stuff. And so, yeah, I just I sat down one day and uh, started writing. I didn't have a plan in my head at all really about it. I just felt – and I'm not into novels. I'm not into sci-fi not really into fantasy, thriller. I don't watch any bloody TV. I, I mean, I, we obviously download some of the really awesome uh, TV series there are, uh, you know, in this day and age. There's quite a few good ones, but essentially I don't uh, uh, invest myself emotionally on that level uh, in many ways whatsoever. And so, the, I mean, you could technically call this book a sci-fi or sci-fi slash fantasy slash thriller, um, but also slash non-fiction because it does incorporate so much of the information that was so important to me uh, when I started to feel like I'm finally breaking out of the matrix, uh, the, that mental programming uh, to a you know, pretty good degree. Obviously, we never break out of the matrix. We're always plugged in, uh, but we can emancipate ourselves uh, through uh, both mentally, which is psychologically, philosophically, emotionally, um, uh, I guess the... Um, there's many layers to it, but then you can sort of break out behaviorally as well in terms of the way that we participate in this very sick social system uh, that we have. 
And yeah, so I just broke down, uh, sat down and started writing it. And it wasn't like a channeling situation, but it felt like the information was coming from a real core area or or the drive was coming from a real core area of myself. And then as I uh, let that sort of flourish and just, you know, um, behave organically, then I tried to put my cross sections of what I consider the, that, that journey, that the, the, the conspiracy theory and the conspiracy facts uh, around all of that stuff and just implanted all that stuff into it. And then three weeks later, the book was written. And then I just spent the next couple of months uh, essentially uh, editing, edit, editing it and refining it uh, to really, uh, ha- you know, provide exactly what you mentioned, which was an engaging read. I really wanted people to really enjoy it, find it fun. Yeah, I definitely did put a utopian theme in it as well as a dystopian theme. Yeah, yeah. And, I've, and the utopian theme was, was put there in terms of it was, it's more like a parody in the sense that, you know, look, we, we probably could move in a really good direction if we had some bloody uni- unification across our world uh, to, to bring uh, the the toxicity out into the light and replace it with something uh, more authentic for the sovereignty of individuals, communities and all life on this earth. But, you know, look, it's, it is an idealistic way, so I, I just try, almost made like a... A, a bit satirical in the sense that, yeah, look, there, there are some ideal ways of looking about how we should move forward. Um, and in in uh, contrast with that, there's also the, the unideal ways which we seem to be heading towards in this moment. So, yeah, it was, it was just a bit of fun. Um, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed writing it. Not sure where um, the, the drive came from, but uh, I definitely capitalised on it. Yeah, don't forget about the erotica part. I mean, I like the, I like how you, I like how you put, I like how you weren't, you know, you weren't afraid to put some love and some, some good sex in there as well. Like it felt like it fit in pretty natural between the, your two characters there, and uh, and I did want to mention the other part I like is is the, the utopian part of it. You know, I felt like you really were able to tell a visual tale of uh, maybe what what some of society could look like. You know, decentralized. Um, free and sort of cooperative, but not in a, in a creepy way, you know, in a very, a very uh, organic way, like to almost the way it should be. Right. I mean, not beholden to some power structure that's taken over the whole world, you know, but really just uh, in our own little decentralized communities that are still connected to the goal, to the big picture. Do you want to talk a little bit about that vision? Yeah, well, uh, as you probably noticed as we we're going, you're, you're reading it, it's quite a complex issue because how do we decentralise uh, our entire world when, we, when we've got these like, nuclear weapons and whatever, whoever knows what bloody type of technologies are out there? So how do we, you know, the anarcho-capitalist movement, they want to go into this no-government situation, uh, although there are there is a faction in that sort of... Um, that group that want to go into minarchism, uh, yeah. which means just min- which just means minimal government. Uh, but essentially, given the what's happening on the world stage, the various cultures that exist, the various ideologies in terms of values and principles and all those sorts of things, then how the fuck are we meant to actually move into a no government situation with all this weaponry and technology? It, it doesn't make sense. It's 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 not. Um, realistically possible given our 
current situation. Now, maybe prior to the technological revolution, maybe we could have done something like that. But to really go to a no government situation, we, we need to have a revolution in our values and in the way that we cooperate uh, with ourselves, like internally that coherence, but also uh, cooperate with each other on a global scale. And it's just a bloody mess. It's very unlikely to be achievable. So my view is that we're going to have to have some sort of managerial system uh, to manage all these threats and risks and all that sort of stuff, uh, but also um, to... Uh, yeah, to, to basically ensure we don't bloody wipe ourselves off the map. But that managerial system, I believe, needs to be transformed. So as you read in the book, I, I transformed it uh, from a philosophical point of view or, and also a pragmatic point of view. So to see how that we could maintain some sort of managerial system, but it was definitely still uh, it was getting more aligned to the capital S service, so I call it the spiritual service, which means to me that we have a uh, an obligation, an ethical obligation once we become conscious around certain things in life. So that's why I went into social work and into the independent media, because it was so important for me to give back. It was not just important, but as I mentioned, and an, an uh, obligation to give back, provide that spiritual service or capitalist service, because once you've got um, certain information and you've been able to transmute old uh, old thinking and feeling within within yourself into a new way of thinking and feeling that needs to be expressed, you, you have a, an abs- absolute obligation to do so. And so uh, the doing that on uh, on an individual level is definitely important, but it also needs to be done on a managerial level as well, which is the twist I put on redefining uh, that that managerial structure. So yeah, look, it's uh, but as mentioned, it's, it's satirical in a sense because look, it's great. I, I love the love the idea of that we could we could potentially do it, but we're nowhere near in a position at the moment to do so. Not even in the independent media have we got any sort of collective focus. And let me just quickly uh, make a note of this. I'm all for individual sovereignty. All laws should be aligned with natural law. We definitely need to design the way that we care for uh, our communities, our societies, based on individual sovereignty. But we are also part of this collective. And I know collectivism is a bad word, and I'm not in any way uh, supportive of the collectivist model, but I am certainly in support of cooperation because without cooperation, first, you can just look at it from a spiritual perspective and understand the inner connection that is inherent within this reality. You can also look at it just a materialist perspective and understand the ecological inner connection we have with our life on the planet, you know, our bees, we need to pollinate food, all that sort of stuff, um, as well as the cooperation within humanity itself. If humanity didn't cooperate um, to where we are today, uh, uh, sorry, in the past, then we wouldn't have got to where we are today because that's what how it works. We actually have to work with each other. So I look at the individual versus collective thing as not us or uh, me versus them or um, as mutually um, exclusive. I see it as both, that we should both look after the individual sovereignty as well as look after 
uh, and respect and acknowledge and value uh, the cooperation uh, of the collective uh, to actually achieve these sorts of goals that we really want to move towards. So ultimately, yeah, we're moving into greater centralization um, on a planetary scale. It's it's getting really uh, concerning to anybody paying any type of attention. And in response, we need to have a decentralized uh, approach both individually and collectively if we're going to balance out this uh, crazy totalitarian tyranny that's bloody uh, manifesting on, on our on our globe in this day and age so yeah look it's it's i like to be cheeky at the same time but yeah there's a part of me that really wants to see us move in the right direction how we do that well that's still to be decided but uh you know i'm sure that we've got the capacity to do so if we actually use some bloody intelligence and realize that we are nowhere near a wise an advanced species, nowhere near it. Have a look at the, what the destruction and the ill health and the the uh, co- competition and fighting and all that crap, yeah. uh, both locally and globally. Um, we are not an advanced species by any stretch of the imagination, but I still I, I do believe that we're at a, sort of like a crossroads, I guess, where we can start moving in that direction if we're intelligent enough to do so. Yeah, there was, I think there was a term that Gary was using in your book for that that not awakening but something else i can't remember it off the top of my head the great uh ev- the great uh uh you're talking about the great relocation yeah 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 yeah. that's it so i mean you talked about the tyranny and and <clears throat> once you start to see your way through the veil you can't really unsee it i mean i think you know, we all go through stages of sort of waking up and all that but you mentioned the tyranny and and especially in the last couple of years it seems to just be I don't know how to even describe it. It's not accelerating necessarily. I mean, I feel like it is, but the, the veil is thinning. And, and um, do you think that, you know, you mentioned it manifesting. I mean, is the, is the tyranny getting worse uh, at this peak or, or is it just becoming uh, more visible to us? Yeah, well, I think maybe a little bit of both. I mean, we're getting into very uh, difficult territory now because we're talking about, well, who are the tyrants uh, in what ways are they enacting or trying to enact or solidify this sort of centralised control system? And uh, are they being successful? Is it being thwarted? Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And, I mean, we, we can look at, I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion in the independent media about all this stuff. Um, I'm, I think we can sometimes uh, get information and which sounds on the surface as evidence for whatever it may be, tyrannical behaviour or whatnot, or who these people actually are, but we might twist it uh, in a way that isn't actually accurate. Um, and so in terms of the amount of power these people actually have, it's really hard to discern, to really come to a wise judgment on who the, what, who the fuck and what the fuck is going on. And so um, I would like to think, this is the way I sort of summarise it within myself, is that, Look, we know that there's this uh, global sex child trafficking and organ trafficking, and that is, and that there is alleged to be a satanic or satanist uh, element to that process. Um, it's quite clear that to have to manage these trafficking of children and organs and all that sort of stuff, it's got to be up in the upper echelons of our society. You need to have a lot of power and a lot of money to do this sort of stuff. And so, therefore, you've got um, 
people who actually don't care about children and are happy to hurt, abuse, and even torture children for their own energetic bloody uh, uh, sustenance, so to speak. Yeah. And and that is just insane to most people. So are these people uh, have have they got full central control? And the people that only get to upper echelons in politics or corporate, uh, the corporate world or whatnot, are they filtered through these particular people, or is there other people to get through? I think personally, I would suggest that you know there are genuine people or sort of people who don't want to hurt kids like that, who, who get through the filter. Um, now that doesn't mean they're not, um, but, but they're not, um, they don't practice corruption or it doesn't mean they're authentic, great people, but essentially because there's a lot of people in power who are doing it for their own benefit, uh, that they, they don't care who they hurt as they go along. Uh, it really is a, uh, disgenuine service, uh, to humanity. However, they, they draw the line on hurting kids. Yeah, so yeah. to me, I see a split in the deep state or the shadow government or the secret societies or the whatever you want to call it. You know, I know there's a few different terms or, or groups such as the Zionists who get a lot of attention. Then there's the Jesuits, there's the neo-Nazis, uh, the Khazarian Mafia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but there are all these different layers and groups that are being um, accused of being a part of that. I don't know the, the core answer. I don't think any of us really do. Um, it's clear that we need to discuss it and put these groups on the table, try to identify it and unpack it and all the rest of it. But uh, I, I, I still feel that, you know, to to come to a solid conclusion on all that sort of stuff um, is counterproductive uh, because, uh, it, once again, it just splits us. There's another division. And I wouldn't doubt that these people are putting out information to get us to go to one side to believe it's one group, to yeah. believe it's, you know, this sort of thing, all that sort of stuff. So I think if we're – it's like the whole Trump thing. Like, I mean, to, to me it's pretty obvious that Trump is working for the – benefit of Israel and that's a really big bloody issue and a lot of people in in the independent media have jumped on the Trump wagon and they're not allowing uh, that sort of critique to be incorporated into uh, how they present their information and how they support Trump. Now uh, that doesn't mean that Trump isn't really part of this um, divide in the deep state, the patriot, uh, patriot, um, patriot movement in the shadow government. Um, he very well could be. I, I really don't know. It seems unlikely based on his, his Zionist um, uh, uh, situation as well. I mean, what just happened in Palestine just recently um, is an absolute bloody mess. And as, and as you can see on the world stage, not Australia and the U.S., um, however, but on the world stage there are, you know, governments and people in power who are opposed to this sort of stuff. So it's not as, con that's a great example how it's not as controlled as we think it is on that whole planetary scale, even though some of the core drivers of global policy and action, military stuff, all the rest of it, obviously have been infiltrated uh, to a pretty large degree. So I think I lost my train of thought there, but well, essentially... I can I can sort of direct you here or build upon it a little bit. So you mentioned, you know, you don't want to come to a, a conclusion or you, you got to be careful about coming to any conclusions on this. But, I mean, being a part of the independent media now and having your own 
podcast, let's say. I mean, if you were, what is our responsibility if we have evidence of child trafficking and sexual abuse and that kind of like, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that part up right away. Just dove right into the, the, the really the darkest aspect of the control mechanism, which is, which I think is that as well. I mean, is there, is there a point where you can't share that because it's too sensitive? I mean, would you, if you had access to some information that could help, you know, bring some conclusions or, or bring some of that down? I think you know the answer to that, Graham. Look, um, I, well, I, I don't know because some that. some independent media has 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 shied away from uh, you know people that you think would be able to would bring this stuff to light have, have shied away from some of it. So it's a it's not as, as simple a question as you, as you think. Yeah, well, look, I, I, obviously it is. It's really important to identify. Um, I talk about these sorts of things when I'm on, on podcasts. Um, I can't remember if I've mentioned mentioned it on my uh, new redesign or rebranding of my podcast. It was formerly known as Redesigning Society, now known as Mad Magic. I've mm-hmm. got my beautiful partner, Nicole, and we're having discussions on most uh, mostly around self-care and how yeah. to enact uh, the greatest rebellion we can against this control system, which is actually truly taking great care of yourself. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, look, there, it's defi- there are definitely um, different uh, media platforms in the independent media who, who focus a lot on that stuff and that's absolutely great and we should i think we should all mention that uh to a certain degree even if we don't want to delve into it to huge degrees like there's different layers that we can work with there's different um roles that we can play in the independent media definitely but we definitely need to have some sort of fluidity in terms of the information we do convey to make sure that we're covering all those bases at the same time now um that doesn't mean so what i was basically saying before is look we we might we might have evidence that suggests a and b right we should mention that we should say well here's the evidence that suggests A and B. Now, that doesn't mean it's absolutely true, but it's pointing towards A and B. And define it like that. If we if we define it as it's definitely A and B, then we've already we've already missed the point. Yeah. yeah. The point the point is is to create greater collaboration and unification in the independent media to make sure that we're putting forward a pretty consistent message to the brainwashed and sleeping masses so they actually understand what the hell we're talking about. That is the intelligent approach that I believe that we should take in the independent media to say, look, these are the sort of issues we're discussing. We're discussing uh, discussing them for these reasons and to have these results. And so, yes, there's these, these sorts of accusations and it appears as this evidence to um, support this and this and this and this. Um, it seems pretty clear that you know this is sort of where that evidence leads, but it might not actually be true because there is um, psyopery that um, is applied within the independent media, meaning that we are being infiltrated not just by um, uh, purposely designed uh, ritual, uh, occult ritual, all yeah. that sort of stuff, yeah. but we are also being infiltrated by this propaganda psychological operations f- through actual people who are in the ind- independent media who are working for these, uh, you know, for that control system as well. So it gets really hard. And of course, they, they if there are, sorry, the, the people who are behind this real deep, high level control system, they are definitely going to be injecting information into this space, not just to confuse us, 
but to scare anybody in the mainstream world to actually being a part of this. Because, look, we've got a hell of a lot of crazy conspiracy theories in the independent media, some of which are actually just crazy and some of which are actually true. And so how we represent that sort of stuff to mainstream society, we need to do pretty smartly, in my view, and say, look, it's it appears that there's these sorts of truths that we're still trying to work out. But the reason why we're doing it is because we care about you. We care about sovereignty. We care about our future generations. We care about our planet. We care about instilling values and principles uh, that are going to actually move us in the direction of that advanced species. We care about actually doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. And if we can just present that general message and do it in a way um, where it's not so, uh, what's the word, like, um, scary uh, for people to leave mainstream programming and to leave um, that that you know that uh, safe and comfortable place of being basically brainwashed within the within the uh, control system. They can actually move into it in a way that goes, oh, okay, well, you know, the, the, at least there's a um, a great foundation to what the work is in this area, and you know, I'm and at the same time, me sort of. Um, getting involved and helping this sort of situation, I'm also setting myself free. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you know of anybody, any friends? I mean, you talked about some of the alternative media being compromised. I mean, do you, do you know of any examples of people being tapped on the shoulder and that have sort of had to tamper what they're talking about? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe not fully censored, but lit, you know, led down a path of, uh, of boundaries where, you know, you don't talk about this or you do talk about that. No, not exactly. I mean, uh, since I started uh, talking about some of this real deep core stuff, including secret societies and stuff like that, I've seen massive changes to my uh, algorithms. I think look, there's, there's standard algorithms across the independent media, but I think most certainly certain people get sub-algorithms um, to their work, and that, I'm pretty sure that was applied to me because I've seen lots of changes um, within uh, my reach, and I've also seen lots of weird stuff on my actual equipment. So, look, that could be paranoia or could be just me coming to um, un inaccurate conclusions. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it seems there seems to have been some uh, real big shifts over the last two to three years, and there's been some real weird stuff every now and again as well. But putting that to the side, I don't know anybody um, specifically who, like personally, that – um, has been uh, uh, compromised or been spoken to. Um, I know there's accusations about Joe Rogan being spoken to or compromised. Yeah, yeah. I know there's been uh, accusations in the disclosure movement, particularly yeah. um, in terms of you know what's going on with this bloody multi-dimensional or you know extraterrestrial fucking situation that's going on. Um, and so uh, there is uh, accusations in terms of that being infiltrated to a large degree. Uh, however, um, yeah, no, I don't know anyone personally. Huh. So, Darren, what do you, do you have any questions, Darren, at all? You want to jump in here at all? Or it's, you, before I, before well, I've I just been on. talking a little bit, like I've just really heard about this whole fairy thing in South Korea and that whole prime minister and the cult thing and seen the pictures of all the people in the streets. I was wondering if you had heard anything about that, about that ferry that got sunk in South Korea. No, I haven't heard too, uh, anything to a great degree. It was brief. I briefly uh, heard about it, but you could probably speak better to me uh, than me about it. I probably can't. No, 
<laughs> Have you been tapped on the shoulder, Darren? No. And without telling me? No, I'll just walk away. Yeah, you will. Just, You'll just walk the away. Trees. You won't even take like Nothing. some take of the, the money computer. and then take him down. Like you won't even take that. some money. Take some money, take and, the money then, and, like, and then talk about it and just expose the whole thing. Maybe. Oh, that's a that's a smart approach, I think. <laughs> two, two. two to the head. Two to the head. Yeah, there's many ways to many ways to kill the dissenters. That's for sure. So oh, you go so ahead because people. I'm looking forward to segueing into the self development stuff. So you can. I'm not finished with that. That's what I mean. You can hijack this first half. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. It's just it's such an interesting time right now because we have all these guys like you guys and our ourselves and and a lot of really good um, podcasts and shows out there gaining traffic and talking about a lot of good stuff. And there's lots of people getting interested and waking up. But then there's Lots of people that are just, that don't give a shit and they're still kind of following the fake news. So like, I guess I'm just interested in your opinion on where that, where that whole roller coaster is at right now. I mean, I feel like I, depending on which way I want to look at it, I can see both sides and I can see people that just are stuck and then, and, um, just following the propaganda blindly. And then there's people that are actually just trying to work their way through it that don't really have the answers. I mean, do you see a... I don't. I don't like using the term awakening, but do you see a shift at all? A transition happening? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, I don't like to use the phrase "I've woken up" at all. I've spent a lot of time to, with my audience, both in writing and on podcasts, and my podcast. And whatnot, trying to explain that. Look, you can tell I was trying not to use it as well there. So. Yeah, we're going through a journey of awakening, all right? Sure, we're going through a journey of becoming more conscious. And yes, we definitely wake up about certain things, like wake up around the food supply in terms of the toxicity that's uh, involved in it, the yeah. death of our soil yeah. and yeah. the, the, the nutritionless food, yeah, all that sort of stuff. So there's, there's ways in which we can wake up in terms of particular concepts or particular realities. But using the term that we've woken up to me is limiting it's restricting it means that we will get dogmatically uh uh anchored into particular belief systems and beliefs within that so i've, I've like i remember i don't know several years ago i can't remember when but it was like oh yeah all right i've woken up now and then not long after i had to refine something like a, probably a big conviction i had and went oh fuck off. i'm not waking up i'm not waking up <laughs> exactly I'm, I'm, I'm waking up you realize you, know? you realize you're only just one little step or one little stage through it's inception yeah there's multiple levels yeah. to the dream world absolutely well said well said and so i just look at what's going on in the world as a reflection of my own experience because you know, there were some real key things that I was like, no, that can't be true. Exactly. Absolutely no way. And I refused to believe it and, and refused to do my proper research in a lot of cases as well at yeah. the time. Yeah. And then as time progressed, I was like, well, hang on. Um, I need to start look, taking this information seriously. And some of the time it turns out that there is some accuracy behind it. And other times it turns out there isn't. Yeah. But essentially the journey of going through that becoming more conscious um, is, is, as um, uh, Darren mentioned, so multifaceted that it takes time. You can't just suddenly... Uh, download all this information overnight unless you go to Peru and take some ayahuasca in some shamanic ritual, maybe you might get some sort of massive 
revolution of the mind and heart and the soul. Um, but in general, uh, when it when we're going through the um, that process, it, it takes time to listen to the information, to assimilate it, and then transmute that information into actually actual our being. We, it's not just about for for a long time now. I've said, look, we. Um, you don't really uh, ha- having insight about something in terms of going, oh well, wow, light bulb moment. I sort of get that information. Isn't the same as truly understanding it and embodying it. Because think about the amount of times we have a light bulb moment about whatever. It might be about our health. It might be about the control system. It doesn't matter. It, we have a, a moment and go, oh, I've got clarity around that. And then we don't do anything with that information. It's not actually a part of our thinking and our feeling and our behaving. We haven't shifted according to that information. So there's a big difference between having insight and actually applying that insight, which is essentially wisdom, knowledge into action, wisdom. And so uh, that process of becoming having insight and having clarity about particular information or a particular reality takes time to assimilate and to actually transmute into into that uh, thinking, feeling, and, act, and acting, as I said before. And so um, I just witnessed my own, I look back on my own journey um, or adventure. It was more, as, I, as we mentioned before the start of this podcast, I just like to have fun with all this stuff because as much as it is bloody serious, uh, if we're, we could look at any so-called time in our, any time in our so-called civilised history and there's always something like this going on so yes we might be at a bit of a crescendo at the moment it seems that we're sort of on the precipice of potential massive shifts i don't know if it'll happen in our lifetime or not but um the the potential is definitely there but if we get too obsessed about it and lost in it and not enjoy our life and not actually come into some sort of uh, take that journey of self-mastery and come into some sort of coherence and, and care about yourself and enjoy yourself, then you're not radiating that awesomeness back out into this bloody simulation grid or energetic grid. So um, you've got to have a balance of the light and the dark, the, the all that sort of thing through this entire process. A lot of people get lost in the conspiratorial world and they don't really focus on the spiritual introspection. Um, and so that can be quite dark and... Uh, and lonely and scary and all those sorts of things. If you don't have a, a fuck off philosophical force field to deal with these sorts of harsh realities in our world, then of course it's going to cause a lot of pain and suffering uh, uh, to you because you don't have the you're not equipped um, psychologically and philosophically uh, to process that information through that force field sort of filter, so to speak. That's the way I sort of describe it anyway. And so. Um, it's really important for people to look at both sides of that equation if they're going on a journey of waking up, um, which many people don't actually do. But going back to your question, we can look at the the greater expansion of humanity's awareness around these sorts of issues in um, a couple of ways. First, um, the internet, the revolution that came, the sort of the information age, it came from the internet and the instantaneous sharing information all around our planet uh, has been a great catalyst for this greater expansion of that experience of consciousness, definitely. Um, however, um, it's also been a great control method as well because you can get people into their little boxes and into their little echo chambers. Um, and, and that's what I should mention this quickly as well is that, if we really want to move 
into that sort of utopian or ideal type of direction, then we need to think outside of our little box we've been incarcerated in all our, our lives. So I don't look at it as just let's look at what uh, – uh, methodologies that we've designed academically and and informationally at the moment. I think there's many other ways uh, and, and thinkings and behaviours that we might be able to sort of transform to move out, which is outside of the box, to move in that sort of direction. But just going back to that, so um, a lot of people are on this sort of journey, but they've been uh, sort of captured in a little box, a little paradigm, um, and so that sort of you know, they're sort of contained, they're well contained. Um, but then you've got people who are very much still um, falling further into deception and into delusion and into the darkness, uh, which is inherent within the propaganda packages that are put out in, to the masses. Um, and so as more people become sort of conscious around things, well, I don't know if it's like a – look, I think we're slightly skewed in terms of the darkness. So for a long time, the, the deception and the lies and the bullshit – has been much uh, more uh, prol prolific, if, if that's the word, um, than what is, you know, sort of emancipation, freedom, sovereignty, all those sorts of things. So as as much as there's like a, a push and pull, natural law, the, the attraction energy um, in terms of we're going into greater centralization, there's going to be a natural effect of people going into greater decentralization. That's the sort of ebb and flow and how it sort of works. But in terms of the um, people becoming more conscious, I think we're already being skewed quite, quite um, to a great degree so that uh, I can't imagine that more people going deeper into that sort of stuff, even though there are a lot of people, I, don't know, I hope I'm making sense here, but even though there are a lot of people who are very hardwired into uh, that, that, that control system. The way I like to explain it is that relatively sane people cannot live in an insane asylum for too long without eventually figuring it out. Mm. And I believe that the most people are pretty good people. They're, they're, they're quite, you know, they, they, they want to love, they want to care, they want to care for themselves, their families, um, they want to give back in certain ways to society. They're not these psychopathic uh, people who don't care about others. They care about themselves and others in general. Um, and so those are the sort of people who are very, uh, they're primed to become more conscious of these sorts of things, even though it takes a long time. Because to get to the stage I'm at right now took me years, absolute years. And I was fortunate enough to go through the, the spiritual uh, revolution first when I was in my late teens, early adulthood. But then because I had depression for fucking 10 years of my early, you know, late teens and early adulthood, I had to actually face, I was either like, you're either going to kill yourself, Phil, or you're going to face this and deal with it. And so I had uh, um, the, the motivation to actually uh, rewire myself neurologically and redesign myself conceptually because I was in such a, a state of despair and suffering. So that motivated me to not, I'd already sort of became more spiritually, spiritually conscious, like my connection, spirituality for those. I know it's one of those terms like God and magic and, and soul and all the rest <laughs> of it that people really take the wrong way. But when I say spirituality, I'm just really simply talking about my connection with myself and life in general. 
just plain and simple. You can look at it, as I mentioned, ecologically, quantum physically, metaphysically, um, gravitationally, electromagnetically, astrologically, astronomically. Beautiful. Um, uh, also, uh, geometrically, mathematically, there's all these layers of connection, right? And that's awesome. It's great to to uh, sort of understand that and connect with it on its own each layer. But in reality, we are connected, innately connected, uh, on all these different levels. And that's what I mean by spirituality is, is sort of understanding that and advancing that experience within yourself. Um, but I've already dealt with the stuff spiritually to a, to a good degree. It never You never get to the end, obviously. But then I worked on the personal development side and did, uh, dealt with that to a really good degree as well. And then I came across the conspiratorial stuff uh, to, to a much larger degree. I was obviously aware of corruption and politics and all those sorts of things. But, you know, to get when you really get into the darkness of, of uh, the conspiratorial world, it's, it's bloody insane on so many levels and you need to be equipped for that which many people actually aren't. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, I look back on my experience and, and sort of appreciate how long that took and therefore there must be so many other people um, who are just sort of becoming aware of these sorts of things um, that are um, they're at their own stage and they've still got a lot of, lot of expansion to go through. Now, but in saying all that, I am the type of person that will walk around in my experience and I will drop truth bombs wherever the fuck I go. I love it. I love it. And I do it cheekily. It's not, I don't, I'm not angry. It's not about going, I can't believe you're not awake and you're, you're the problem in this reality. That you know, It's people like you that are, you know, um, main, uh, perpetuating this control system, blah, blah, blah. I'm not angry about it at all. I just like to be cheeky about it and drop random truth bombs, whether or not it's the indoctrination um, system or the education system or the media propaganda or whatever. It doesn't matter. The, respon- the response I get from people, guys, is actually like I don't know if I'm attracting the right people, but whenever I'm dropping the, this sort of information, they – more or less, get it. It's receptive. And it's so, it's receptive these days. I find the same thing. Yeah. Exactly. So that to me, based on my last sort of three, five years of doing that to a much greater degree, I'm thinking there's a lot more people who are conscious than what we're sort of led to believe and what's sort of reflected uh, through the way that we have organized and how we're responding to all this sort of stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I, I like to be realistically optimistic um, but I am hopeful that we will uh, sort of uh, have a have greater cooperation about this sort of stuff in the near future, mid you know short to midterm future, and actually move in a better direction. But who knows? Well, so- I definitely think more people are sick of it than ever before. If nothing else, you know, and you got to kind of get there before you can. You got to be sick of the fucking thing before you can start to adjust it. I guess right. You just got to hope yeah, that they don't get so sick of it that they flip the whole fucking thing over and, you know, start bashing each other with bats. <laughs> it's happened before. It um, yeah, look, and they're not just sick of it, though, Darren. They're sick. They're yeah, sick they're, yeah I agree they're, 100% they're, on that. They're physically sick. Most people are, you know, fat or they've got some sort of disease problem, or they've got some sort of mental illness such as anxiety or depression. There's all this, these layers of physical and, and mental illness 
that is actually catalyzing people to go, well, hang on, what is going on? They start thinking about what, what choices they're making in their own lives and why they've made those choices and where the information has come from to influence those choices in the past. So that's just another catalyst right there. I think there's a huge uh, lack of emotional intelligence too compared to a few generations ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, the way I, it's tricky, the emotional intelligence thing, because like, I, I find this whole bloody sex and gender thing bloody hilarious at the moment. I don't know if you see, see my latest video I did on it where I dissected a debate between Joe Rogan and Russell, um, who's a postmodernist um, on this stuff, as well as Jordan Peterson's uh, analysis on it. And then I did some sort of cheeky commentary on some a debate on the YouTube. But anyway, I do recommend if people are confused about the sex and gender issue, go and watch that bloody video. It's an hour and you'll, you'll, you'll walk out less confused than what you walked in. Um, but the, uh, where, where was I going with that? The, uh, just mentioned? go ahead. Darren, what was uh, that? What did you say, Darren? Sorry, prior to me going on that it, sort of tangent. It was about the uh, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Ah, uh, right. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for picking it up for me. Um, the um, so what I, why I mentioned that is because women have a greater capacity to experience the emotional spectrum as reflected in the physiological apparatus called their brain and their body brain. Yeah. Right. So there are physiological differences between men and women, full stop, and that bubbles up as psychological and behavioral differences. Absolutely. But what emotions are in general is a uh, phys physiological response to environmental stimuli. We've all got the emotions in us. We've got the emotional spectrum. Um, it's all good and well to respond naturally to our reality. Um, it happens on that that unconscious physical level, and then it bubbles up, and that's so the emotions are processed in a different part of the brain compared to feelings. So when you say emotional development or sophistication, what I would actually call that is uh, feeling sophistication or development because what we're doing is we're combining our emotions, our beliefs, our memories, our traumas, um, our philosophies, all that sort of stuff. It's packaged all together and processed in that feeling part of the brain and then we manage our emotions in that sense. And so over time, obviously, if we're managing our um, emotional um a concoction within that within our feelings in a way that's conducive to better health and better well-being then we're actually impacting uh maybe epigenetically but just in general through the system uh how we emotionally respond naturally to our environment does that make sense yeah so you know how a lot of so a lot of people can, um, you know, you line, the way I've described this for a long time is that if you could line 100 people up and give them the exact uh, same experience, let's call it the death of a loved one or something like that, you would have 100 different responses. Well, plain and simple, you never have the same response. People grieve for different amounts of time. They respond differently. They think differently. They feel differently. So the emotion there, the emotion of, oh, my God, I've lost a loved one, uh, well, that's more of the feeling, but the emotion of grief is is definitely there. But then how we manage that grief and amongst all our other uh, mental um, infrastructure uh, is, is very much different. And so that's where we've got control. We don't have the control to to we don't have the control over our physiological response, but we have control of our psychological response. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I like it. So how much does that, um, it, well, you mentioned how, you know, working on yourself and, and the spiritual aspect. I mean, I do find it all, it all overlaps and it's all connected. Like once you, once you, I think once you, I don't know, reach some sort of, um, level of working on yourself or whatever, it's, it's inevitable that this stuff is going to come to light, the conspiracies and all. But I did want to ask you before, unless Darren wants to jump into that, that no, a little bit ahead. more, was there something that, as far as the conspiratorial aspect, was there an ev- something that triggered the rest of it? Or what was the first thing that you kind of, kind of transitioned you to, to digging and all that stuff a little bit deeper? Like after all the spiritual work and all that, like, was it the food system? Was it, you know, something worse than that? Nah, look, to be honest, I don't remember. Um, I've got a, a, a general um, – uh, my memory isn't the greatest a lot of the time because I spend a lot of time in my present and just enjoying the fuck out of my moment. So sometimes these big – I've, I've forgotten massive, like, uh, out-of-body experiences and lucid dreams and bloody meditations and, and major trigger points in my mm-hmm. awakening – it's you know it doesn't really matter to me. It's it's not important for me to really remember what were these yeah. the, the actual details around this development. But in saying that, one of the, the biggest thing that made me really delve into all of this stuff on a conspiratorial yeah, level that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it wasn't an external thing. It was an internal thing because I, I it's basically like look, I've just been exposed. I've exposed myself to the fact that I don't know crap about this sort of stuff. And as an, I'm already on a journey of authenticity. So if I'm going to be real about what I do and don't know, um, if I'm going to be authentic, I've got to be real about what I do and don't know. So I had to really start considering two basic things. I, I really encourage people to ask these questions to themselves bloody seriously and take them seriously in the context of fun and having a good time, but take it seriously enough to go, one, how long does it take you to admit that you're wrong about something? So how cognitively dissonant are we? Do we um, reject information really quickly um, and and it takes us ages, we have to be uh, exposed to that information again and again and again and again and again just to start taking it seriously and, and maybe even potentially evolving our belief systems and the beliefs within them? Or are we really open to it? Uh, do we accept the fact from the very start, well, you know, I've got these beliefs, but really are they my beliefs? Like where do I get this information? Um, how do I know it's true? What research have I done? Um, have I been honourable with my to myself in terms of the way that I actually um, have uh, uh, accepted and, and uh, perpetuated these beliefs within me. So it's really important that we ask ourselves, what do we really know? What, what's, what's just hearsay and what is actual information and beliefs that we credibly have come to um, actualize and uh, within ourselves. Have, have, what have we embodied within ourselves in a in a fair, genuine way? The other question is, how, when do we admit when we don't know, when we don't know something? So when we when we think we know something, or when we admit when we're wrong. So going, oh, hang on, that belief might need to change because it's sort of this new information sort of making a bit more sense. I better go and investigate it first and then I'll change accordingly to based on the, the conclusions. But the other one is like we feel gaps in all the time, don't we? 
It's like there's filling these gaps on a, on a subconscious level on so many different layers. Like when I started this real deep self-administered psychotherapy to overcome my depression, what it meant doing is navigating through my subconscious and trying to work out what was bullshit, what was working, what wasn't working, where the defunctions uh, were, were stemming from, what the traumas were, all that sort of stuff. So in that process, of which is just meditation, it's just self-reflection, um, mindfulness in general. You can do it through psycho, psychedelics, which is a fucking awesome way if you've got some sort of stability, mental stability in that process uh, before you do all that, and you've got the guidance. You really need some good guidance. Um, personally, I didn't have that. I, I just winged it. As uh, a young kid, but a young adult, should I say? Do you feel like you but, could um, offer that guided style? Like maybe I'll call you up one day, eat a bunch of mushrooms, and we'll go through some shit. <clears throat> Mate, I, I, I really enjoy it. So, <laughs> um, look, it's yeah, of course I can. Of course I can get that guidance because I gave it to myself. But that's not a role I've you know taken on or anything like that. I've had to learn this all myself. I've been my own wingman. I've had no mentors. I've been my own mentor. I've had to really go through all this shit myself, and I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's, it's arduous. It's torturous. So it's really good to have some people to look up to in your life, and that doesn't mean you believe every word that comes out of their mouth. doesn't mean that you have to live the way that they live. You just need to respect the fact that there is some information and wisdom that you can get from other people. Um, if you listen right and, and you analyze right. And so, um, yeah, the, the I think I've lost track again, but essentially moving through that self-administered psychotherapy and navigating through my conscious, uh, subconscious, and, and let me just quickly describe what the subconscious is. All it really is is information we're not aware of or the, our uh, design our apparatus that we're not aware of, like the, the conceptual pathways, all that sort of thing, when we're not thinking about it. So we're not when we have a memory, that's a subconscious coming into consciousness, right? So essentially when, when we're going through mindfulness or meditation or self-reflection or whatever, all we're doing is, we're, this is the analogy I like to use to describe it, all we're doing is going out into the night, pitch black night with a little torch, and we're just moving our torch around. That's it. So we're just moving our conscious mind into different areas of our subconscious. So when we go through that process of trying to heal ourselves and understand what gaps we've filled in of what we don't know, um, all we're doing is actually just being real with what our thinking is as we're moving through different layers of what we're made of, how we're all the way from a history, our belief systems, the traumas, the good stuff, the bad stuff, whatever. Um, we're just become, We're just making it bringing that darkness to light and then we should do something about it. If we, if we uncover the fact that there's something wrong um, in terms of dysfunction or um, something that's causing us grief or whatever, then, then we have to actually do something about it. And we can move on to how to heal ourselves and all that sort of stuff later um, if you'd like to. Uh, but essentially uh, the two questions, when, when we admit we're wrong and when we uh, admit when we don't know, uh, seriously key key to uh, to navigating this uh, these noisy waters messy waters of the conspiratorial world and the rest of reality uh, in a way that's going to get you uh, most greatly aligned to the truth or at least more aligned uh, uh, aligned to ideas and information that are more closely aligned with the truth yeah yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I like that. 
So yeah, I wouldn't mind getting into that healing process. So what psychotherapy is, is it's not using drugs. Like the, obviously the, uh, sock, 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 how do you say that word? Psychiatry, psychiatry. <laughs> Psychiatric. Yes, love it, nailed it. Um, yeah, that involves these um, mind-altering psychotropics, right, which is arguably not so great for us. There's many different theories around that. If the serotonin development is actually good, um, can, is it another? There's another. There's other doctors who say it's the absolute opposite. Obviously, there's a lot of addiction, a lot of suffering, and lots of bullshit that comes out of these pharmaceutical medications. There might be some that are okay. Um, I would always suggest to go to see a holistic health practitioner and use natural therapies and natural um, medicines where possible. That's always good to make sure. Like, if you go to your doctor and your doctor's sick and overweight and just looks unhealthy and all the rest <laughs> of it, you probably don't want to take advice off him or her, right? We, we, they're just prescription fillers, a lot of them. But there's a lot of great doctors, just like there's great police and journalists and po even politicians, maybe, maybe not so much. There's always good people in all these fields and disciplines. Um, but especially when it comes to health, there are great uh, health practitioners um, that are more holistic in their approach to that sort of stuff, and they might be able to help with particular prescriptions of better medicines than what comes out of the, the pharmaceutical monopolies or the pharma, pharma drug dealers. Um, but psychotherapy is without any of that sort of stuff. So psychotherapy is just, in, in the, the standard definition, is just talking to somebody, and they will help you uh, to get more clarity about what's driving some of these poor behaviours such as addiction or depression or whatever it may be. And then what you're doing is you're redesigning yourself on a, a psychological, philosophical um, and even a, you know, sort of that spiritual level uh, to, uh, to function better, to function without that other dysfunction, whatever it may be. You can do that yourself. I call that self-administered psychotherapy. That's how I healed myself. And the way that I healed myself, it's sort of quite simple. I thought about some of the biggest beliefs and philosophies I have in this world. And because I was so depressed, like it was bad, like, I, you know, you, you, you pretty much can't get worse than, you know, unless you go and actually kill yourself. So that's how bad it was for me. And I put myself in a position one day where it was either one of the two options and I chose the option of survival and I chose the option of healing myself. And so what I started to do is really face myself, like what was actually going on in me? If you want to heal yourself, you need to face thyself. Now, obviously, with I'll just quickly do a quick side note. When it comes to depression, um, anxiety, stress in general, um, sickness in general, there, there can be dietary um, changes that are needed. There can be um, electromagnetic pollution or other things like that having an impact on our physical and energetic system. It's not just about how your mind is organized. Um, there are other factors in play, definitely. So always take a holistic approach. But when it comes to, for me, it wasn't any of those things. Well, maybe a little bit of diet, but not really. 
my problem was that my the way my mind was organised was a shit show. It was poorly poorly wired, and and wired in a way to to really almost like get off on the triggers of uh, and, and get off on feeling sad. Oh, I'm the victim. You know, um, somebody pay me attention. Whatever. It was like it was like I was getting a benefit from being sad. Right? And so I, I started to recognize that. I started to recognize that um, I didn't have some really deep, badass philosophies that took care of myself. And one of the first things I started to realize is that I wasn't that grateful at all. And so this is the way I originally described it. It's moved to much greater depths since then. But the, the way I first described uh, why to myself, why I should be grateful was that, well, I wasn't in Africa, which is what I, that was the limit of my understanding at the time, but I wasn't in Africa starving, you know, have disease or, you know, whatever, struggling um, to actually survive. And so that being grateful for the fact that, okay, well, as in as much as I'm not real happy at the moment, I do have, you know, a loving family, um, I've got the opportunity to heal myself. I've essentially got my Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at least physiologically met. Um, what is to whinge about? Is is this are you? Is this depression self abuse? And the answer was yes. The answer was that I was abusing myself, and it was I was doing it in a way that I was uh, blaming something else. So I call this blamism. So whether or not it's parents or, um, you know, your, your childhood growing up, whether it's the education system, whether it's the government or the authoritarian control system, whether or not it's your ex-partner, whether or not it's your, your children or, or a child or whatever, family member or the friends, social groups. And there's many things that we can blame as the cause of our depression or anxiety or whatever. Um, now, that's not to say that people aren't abusive to others sometimes. We can never take responsibility for other people's behaviours, mm -hmm. ever. We can call out that bullshit and we say, you are doing harm to me in this, 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 and this way. Right? Fair enough. Can't take responsibility. But what you can take responsibility for is your response to that. So if, we, if we're being harmed by someone and, for example, a partner, now we're making a decision. We're either choosing to stay and be around that person or not. If we choose to stay and be around that person because the abuse isn't that bad, like it's just verbal abuse or it's just them, they've got their own a dysfunction such as, I don't know, addiction or whatever it may be, and it's causing harm to you, but, you know, you recognise they'll try and, you know, move past it and whatever. And so you're happy to accept the impacts and consequences of being in that relationship, fine. But we can also be the greatest control we have is taking responsibility for our response to that. Now, another quick side note, we have an electromagnetic field, right, and, and potentially an energetic field as well. I know science is struggling to catch up with the subtle energies and the um, etheric fields um, or the ether. Um, but we are interacting with our environment at least electromagnetically, if not on that auric uh, level as well. Now, that means that if somebody is, for example, really stressed in your household, 
like your mom, your dad, your um, your baby in the tummy, and mum's dresses as fuck, uh, whatever. If we're if we're around people that are really in their fields, highly dysfunctional and 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 in a lot of suffering then there is an actual impact on that level that impacts our electromagnetic fields and the other interactions that we energetically have with those people. So we can't stop that. What we can is we can take greater control of our own, um, uh, I was going to say space, but our own composure. Yeah, exactly. Our own composure in our moments. And then as mentioned before, if we have a good force field, a good philosophical apparatus, then it's probably not going to penetrate it that much. But if we're really weak in our own, what did you say? State of being. If we're really weak in our state of being, then that 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 influence around us is going to easily penetrate and really affect us as well. So that's one layer that we need to recognise in terms of people affecting us. But ultimately, um, we can never ever take responsibility for other people's behaviours. We can put, we can say, look. You're harming me in these ways. I have these expectations. Hopefully those expectations are realistic and fair and authentic to both the, the benefits or the benefit of both you, of you. Um, but all we can really do is take responsibility for ourselves, right? Well, maybe even boundaries over expectations probably, right? I mean, you don't you, don't you want to try not to have expectations of people in a way? I mean, would, would boundaries be a better term? Like, you know setting a boundary is probably healthier than having an expectation, I would say. Well, look, I, I say that's just new age bullshit. We're allowed to have expectations on people. I expect that my my partner is going to respect me in these ways. That, that's my, that's my, that is a boundary. My boundary or expectation is you're going to treat me in this way. So it's just language. It's semantics really. Yeah. Okay. Um, but enough. yes. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. Boundaries, expectations, whatever. Um, the, um, but what we really need to seriously do is have great boundaries or expectations on ourselves. And first, to do that, we need to actually understand if we're abusing ourselves. And so that's what I, I realised. I was total in, I was self-harming on all these levels and blaming it on others, on something else. And so once I started to take full responsibility for the way that I think, the way that I feel and the way that I behave. Yes, I know I've been traumatized and hurt and harmed in the past and all those sorts of things. Can't take responsibility for that, but I can take responsibility for the way that I respond to all of that. And and what I had done is created a really poor framework for my um, for what was happening within me, so that uh, I was perpetuating and and um, almost amplifying that trauma and the harm that had been caused in me. So that was my responsibility. I had to take responsibility for the fact that uh, that I allowed that harm to uh, to grow so much inside of me. So once I realised that, that's when I started to go, okay, time to actually heal. So first is face thyself. Second is change thyself. Now, change takes a long bloody time. Um, to the, the way I explain this is what we have to do is take a series of steps. First is identify the self-harming behavior. Second is identify the behavior we want to change it with. Third is identify when we're doing that self-harming behavior. And four is um, 
replace it with the behaviour that we've identified we want to change it with, and then five is repeat over and over and over and over again until we've now got a new default response to our environment. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I want to. I want to. You know, I want you to step back a bit though to the face yeah. thyself. I have a question. Question there. So what Why happens you if you? What happens if you? Uh, if you have subconscious trauma that you don't obviously you don't know about it because it's subconscious and and you're you're told of some memories that you have that are probably traumatic and you start to remember these memories so obviously you're you know it's you're starting to face yourself you're you're bringing up all this stuff that you didn't even know you you had so how do you then you mentioned earlier that you would sort of uh, I don't think you used let it go but how would you then deal with that new information really well, that must be really frightening and terrible for people. Personally, I have never had that. I've never had the experience where I've become conscious of something that I had sort of, you know, um, suppressed deep into my subconscious mind and, and was was un- was unaware of it. So, look, I've never been through it in th- in that way. Like I, I was. I was like, I was aware that I was traumatizing myself through my behavior. So I guess that's a good example. I became conscious of the fact that I had suppressed the fact that I'm hurting myself. So what I would do about that is first, um, have a little bit of compassion and empathy for yourself. Uh, give yourself a buddy hug. Actually respect the fact that you're learning and you're sort of growing a bit and, 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 and be really appreciative of yourself. Give yourself that love because no one can ever give yourself the love like you can. Plain and simple. You can get it sort of off family and friends and partners and whatnot, but no one can genuinely, not in a vain way, but in, a, in an authentic way to really give that love and care to yourself. Then what I would do is... Well, uh, this would be a long, uh, you know, quite a long process, I guess. But I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a clinical example of how to shift the emotional um, emotions that are attached to particular memories and traumas. What they did in um, a series of experiments using MDMA, which is a, I'm pretty sure it's a tryptamine. I think it's part of that family. And MDMA is ecstasy for those who don't know what that is. And PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, is very, very difficult to heal, to cure. It's notoriously difficult. Like there's like a 80% failure rate through general psychotherapy and psychiatry. Yeah, I got that word that time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the... Uh, so what they did in this experiment, um, proper clinical trials, you know, doctors and all the, the medical equipment and all the rest of it, I think there was about eight or ten sessions where they gave, where they worked with these people who has post-traumatic stress disorder, most mostly veterans from wars and stuff like that. And through those eight to ten sessions, what they did is they did psychotherapy, um, which is the general talking about stuff, but on two of the sessions they did, they applied MDMA. So what uh, the, 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 the person ingested the MDMA um, and they started talking about their memories and their traumas and whatnot. And what's happening through that process is because you're feeling so bloody awesome because you've taken MDMA, and for those who haven't sort of seen it or taken it before, you know, if if you're around someone on MDMA, they're probably going to hug you a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of good neurotransmitters and stuff flying around, right? And they'll probably dance so, too. Oh, yeah. 
Mate, mate, I grew up dancing uh, raves, clubs, bush dress festivals, you know, one of my favourite things to do. Eh? Um, but anyway, back to the story. So what they're doing is they, they've got new emotions, new uh, neurotransmitter and physiological uh, realities um, sort of being received on a cellular level. And so what you're doing is you're, as, as you remember that particular memory, now new emotions, not not fear and um, and pain and suffering and regret and resentment and all this stuff, basically just all expressions of fear. Um, that is all being transmuted by the new emotional and physiological infrastructure brought on by the MDMA. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Actually, I've never really even thought about it that way. It's very interesting. Yeah. So, so as time goes on, so two sessions out of the eight or ten all up were given it, the MDMA was administered and the rest of it was just psychotherapy. And over that time, because now as after the MDMA sessions, they're thinking about and talking about these memories, but there's now new emotions attached to it. So it's not grief and fear and all the rest of those I mentioned. Now it's the, the, the dance party attached to it in a sense. And so they had a strike rate of a think, I think it was around 80%, but it was like of actual curing this PTSD, which is amazingly, amazingly powerful. While we don't have MDMA and all these other psychedelics and other psychotropics uh, incorporated into the fabric of our medical uh, and, and healing and health, um, uh, disciplines. Well, why is because it's yeah, anti yeah, yeah. We know, we know, we know why. But <laughs> but, but why we don't actually bloody well do something about that? Like it's the the science is there, the studies are there, it's all there. Um, we just need to bloody stand up and and ensure that it gets reincorporated back in. It's not cannabis. So, so let me just quickly finish that. What you're doing is you're attaching new emotions to old memories, right? And so it, it, to do that without MDMA. All you've got to do is when you think of a memory, you've got to attach a new fuck off philosophy, that gratefulness philosophy, as I mentioned. So when you feel grateful for being alive, mm -hmm. yes, I'm alive, fuck yeah, and then you have a, a, a bad memory come up or whatever it may be, you just all you've got to do is apply, yes, I'm alive, that gratefulness, whatever it may be, and just keep applying it, reapplying it, applying it, and then next minute your default mechanism isn't going to be that that fear or whatever it is, the, 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 the pain, it's going to be, yeah, I'm alive. So that's essentially how over time you can rewire yourself to be more um, fundamentally at your core, uh, healthier, happier, and at peace. Peace is much, much better focused than uh, happiness because happiness and sadness is a fleeting roller coaster. We can be, but we can still be content uh, at peace. That's my, that that's my favorite right. word in that, in that spectrum, content. Yeah, absolutely. That's another lesson I learned a long time ago. I was just like, like Phil, like you're going through fluctuations of happiness and sadness, which is perfectly natural. But there's one thing that you've noticed about this, mate. You can actually maintain some level of contentment through that process. And how you maintain that level of contentment is having those strong philosophies and beliefs again, such as gratefulness and appreciation and all those sorts of things. But moving back into the psychotropic area, cannabis has been our companion plan. Do you guys know of permaculture and the concept of companion planting? Yep. So essentially, if you plant like basil, it's just a simple example, but if you plant basil next to tomatoes, basil helps to repel pests that love tomatoes. 
right? So those things work together one way. I don't know if it's two ways, but essentially uh, cannabis, uh, not marijuana, I don't like to use that that term because it was, ale- I think it's alleged to be a bit of a propaganda term back in uh, the, the, the 70s and 80s or whatever it was. But cannabis um, has been our companion plant for eons, not just because of the medicinal and therapeutic and developmental value we can get out of uh, the uh, cannabinoids and the, and the THC, um, but also because of the hemp. So we've used hemp for ropes and sails and uh, heaps and heaps of stuff like for, forever, essentially. So cannabis has been our companion plant only taken away from us about 100 years ago, which is essentially like taking your own bloody baby off you. Like it's, it, it, we are so deeply ingrained and connected to this plant because we have an endocannabinoid system in our body, which you guys are probably aware of, but just in case the audience isn't, where it's that endocannabinoid system, which controls the endocrine system, um, it has receptors on a cellular level to actually receive the healing agents um, and uh, uh, developmental agents off this the, the cannabinoids, which is like literally thousands as far as I, I'm aware. And so it's so important for our healing. Um, and and also, the, I mean, the resources that you can get from hemp, unbelievable. Now you can get fuel, plastics, you can build, um, you get like, like a hemp creep, which is like a concrete from it. Um, it is highly responsible, ethically responsible to the environment, easy to grow, um, it's so versatile. There's literally thousands and thousands of uses for it, um, but that would undermine such so much so much of the industry, uh, the monopolised industry in our current day and age. So if we ever want to go into this decentralisation sovereignty path, cannabis is going to play a massive, massive role in it, both on a resource level and a medicinal level. Um, in fact, I, as I mentioned, I'm an ex-social worker and. I was working for the, excuse me, for the uh, state government, for the New South Wales state government of the Australian government, and I also did uh, federal policy development um, and program and project management at the federal level. As yeah, well. I, w- I wanted to ask you about that. Actually, how that uh, how that went and your transition out of it, and why? Well, why well, I get, well yeah. But anyways, get conti- yeah, continue on. So, um, when I was working as a social worker, I stood up against anything that was unethical, and there was a lot of it. Um, I was, um, fortunately, I didn't have too many situations where I had to, I, I, I basically, I just generally took control. I would upwardly manage my managers and give them only the information they needed um, so that I could get what I want, essentially, because I, I had very little trust in a lot of the managerial staff. Not all, but I had some great managers as well, um, but the culture was very sick, very toxic, and I knew that they were geared towards what I didn't want. I wanted to work with these families and actually help them and not to bloody destroy them like a lot of people would do. It, a lot of social workers genuinely wanted to help these families, but they uh, they did it in counterproductive ways. It actually caused family breakdown and, and more problems. So it's just weird culture. Even though the the bigger policy, the macro policy of that particular department was quite good, I was actually quite impressed with it when I started working there. And I was like, yeah, I can actually work with this this policy. How that was translated into action on the ground through the culture of the organisation was hit and miss, very much so. Um, and through that process, I realised uh, that, yeah, that I needed to just take the reins myself 
And I also realised I needed to take some of the younger um, caseworkers or new caseworkers, some coming out of uni or just some joining the organisation, sort of take them under my wing and go, right, look, this is how things work around here. I'd gauge them to see where they were first, obviously, but then once I felt comfortable enough, I'd tell them exactly how the, the sort of challenges that would come up in the culture of the organisation and how to navigate that and how to make sure that they did the right thing because we all get we, we were all definitely put into a position where we either had to do something uh, against our morals or stand stand up. And so I chose to stand up. A lot of the time I was in, I was doing aftercare type services. So it means that there'd already been a family breakdown, child was removed, something like that. And so I was doing the basically uh, damage control, essentially, and trying to help these kids and these grandparents and families and parents and whatever to actually uh, come to some sort of uh, um, some sort of resolution. Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and also some healing about it as well, you know, because there was a lot of dumb decisions made, man, like a lot of pain and uh, caused. So I was like trying to juggle the fact that, you know, a lot of the time bad choices were made, but I couldn't really say it like that as well because, you know, so I'd have to say it in ways that was about, look, you know, essentially how can we actually move this situation forward regardless of what happened in the past, we need to think about where we could potentially go to make this situation better. Um, but the, so essentially in my uh, primary case, uh, what do they call it now? The child protection role. When I, well, it wasn't aftercare, it was prior to all that. I Every basically family that I worked with um, was, I felt was workable. I felt like that I didn't need to remove any children. There were definitely risks. There were definitely issues. So I never removed any child. Um, I was for, I was um, told that I had to in one particular case, which I, which wasn't my actual case, and I said no because I didn't agree. Um, so I stood up in that sort of moment and went, no, look, there's other ways that we could deal with this, and I don't believe in your choices. I don't care that you're a manager. I'll do it. Uh, this is my recommendation. If you won't follow that recommendation, get somebody else to do your bidding, essentially. Um, but throughout, yeah, so all that process was was a, a nightmare. What happened in Australia over the last year is there was a young boy of the name Chase Walker who has epilepsy and cerebral palsy, who is four, now five years old, I think. Um, who was being fed synthetic foods and dairy-based foods in hospital systems, which resulted in massive seizures, over 100 seizures, seizures a day, like that sort of thing, like a really bad state. It was basically the parents were being prepared for him to die. Right? And what they did is they went, nah, we're going to take a different approach. So they got involved some holistic health practitioners and started giving him cannabis oil and a plant-based diet only. His seizures stopped. Um, basically to nothing. I think maybe there were slight tremors every now and again, but basically no seizures at all. Wow. Um, and he started putting on weight and he was good to go. Then what happened is there, there was some sort of issue around potassium or something like that. The, they, the, the hospital that they were at said, you can't do this anymore. They said, no, nah, we're taking for a second opinion. They went to a Newcastle hospital, which was hours away. I think they went to a different start. And they took it to the, that hospital. The hospital said it was fine, but the hospital staff had to notify the police and the police and my old agency came around, took this child 
and he hasn't been with his parents since. Right? This strategy of cannabis oil and plant-based diet was working for him. Now, I don't know what his current state is at the moment, but his parents were arrested but uh, released without charge. Oh. I, I think the, the mother at least was. Um, but what's happened is there's been such a massive community response in Australia but also around the world around this family. You should see it. Like there's so many articles being written about it. One of my best mates over at the uh, Global Freedom Movement, um, he's written an article that went into um, medium.com just recently. His name's Brendan uh, D. Murphy, top lad, um, author of Delusion. You might want to get him on the podcast. I'm not sure. Um, but he's written about it, uh, and the uh, the massive community response has been full on. So I went on a live video with Cindy Walker, the mother, um, about a, a week ago, I think. I can't remember exactly. Where I talked about my experience as a social worker and what what's happening on the inside. And don't me wrong, there are many great people in there, guys. Like it's not all just like people who want to, you know, destroy families. Or no, it's just like a that, broken system, it, right? Really. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I, I really encourage the supporters, like this community rallying, uh, rallying around this family, to be con, uh, composed, to be intelligent, to be sophisticated in terms of the response and and uh, like the response to people in these fields, as well as how you share the information. Because if you just go about it and say they're trying to take our kids and you know they're all bad that that just doesn't work doesn't fly yeah. so try, try, i know it's hard to be you know emotionally um you know balanced about it or feelings balanced i know it's in that semantics uh field again um but have that sort, sort of balance on that level um especially if you're mum and dad but you know the community around them they really should be smart in the way that they represent this case to the public to the masses because it really is a grand opportunity to again wake more people up around this particular issue in terms of the medical um situation and the food absolutely and also the control system in general so anyway just just to sum that up Cannabis, uh, cannabis, so effective, so amazing, um, and yeah, I, I recommend that we we had that a focal point as we move forward as well. I can get on board with that. <laughs> the peace pipe is good. Oh well, wow, that does uh, well said. Yeah. I think that's probably. Do you have any questions about self help at all, or no? I think that was some pretty good stuff. Yeah, Yeah. some pretty good stuff to digest. I think yeah, that was that was a great chat. I think that's probably as good a spot as any to start to wrap it up. About ninety minutes. Well, we should talk about uh, what you're what what else you're doing here, like your um your new podcast uh, or your re your redefining your podcast. You're kind of rebranding it. uh, Your YouTube channel. Anything else that we should uh, touch on before we leave? Where our listeners can track you down. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, the book is The Simulation. I'm really glad you enjoyed it um, because, you know, I thought it's pretty good, but, you know, it's a, a um, it's hard to gauge the response at this, this sort of point. Um, that was self-published as well. So if there are any publishers or agents out there, I am um, wanting to repackage that book as well. I've designed a new cover for it. 
um, and I want to get some good marketing for as well. So um, you can contact me at madmagic at pushingthetippingpoint.com um, or just through Facebook, which is Philip J. Watt. YouTube is Philip J. Watt as well. And I'll just be putting random videos up there, all the podcasts um, as yeah, as time goes on. But if you want to search my uh, the actual podcast, which is now called Mad Magic, and it has my partner Nicole and I. Um, we're talking about you know all all these sorts of things, um, but you know really wanting to help people to step into their authenticity and really come into that coherence in self to really undertake a process of self mastery. And that's not to say that you're the master of the bloody universe or even the master of the self, but to really take serious the capacity with it we have within ourselves. Um, uh, to look after ourselves and, and to be and accountable and, and to be accountable. That's what I like about, about your, your work as well. And a lot of the, some of the, the spiritual aspects of just being responsible for your own state of being and being accountable and, and taking that responsibility and not uh, just getting out of that blameism, like you mentioned. I think that's a, one of the most important parts. Blameism. Yeah. Yep. Trademark that shit. <laughs> I've, written, I've written about that for years now, so I think I own it. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, look, it's um, it, it's not about being vain. It's not about taking things too bloody serious. It's just about going, as you mentioned, you've got to be accountable for yourself. And as I mentioned before, it is such a, a, a brilliant, ingenious way to give a big fuck you to this control system because they want uh, it wants a sick, it wants us sad, it wants us stressed, it wants us in fear, it wants us to feel like we... Um, uh, disempowered and that we don't have this control, but we bloody well do. And so actually actualizing that control and that, that responsibility and mastery um, is a big spit in the face to what's going on. So, and, and look, honestly, I see a lot of dysfunction, a lot of suffering um, in the independent media, in the independent community, and obviously the masses as well. A lot of people focus on the conspiratorial stuff and not enough focus on thyself um, so that's what we're, that's the sort of angle we're going with. Um, really glad to connect with you guys uh, as well. But I know, you know, Gordon White over at Rune Soup, he does a great intellectual and academic breakdown of the magical development of magic and consciousness in our world uh, the, of the paranormal. So I don't, you know, I don't want to sort of do what he's doing because um, he's already doing it so well. So Greg over at the High Side Chats does the conspiratorial stuff fantastically. So we're going to touch a bit on that, but again, focus on the more personal side. Um, Alex over at Skeptico, he does great with the, the new sciences and, and how that translates uh, into, um, you know, that spiritual and conspiratorial investigation. So there's some great podcasts out there. You guys do an amazing job too. I only just came across your work um, several months ago at the same time as Alex, actually. I don't know. I, I don't know how that happened. I was in my own <laughs> bloody bubble. I've got no idea how I haven't heard about you guys. And I actually started supporting you guys on Patreon as well because I went and had a look. And I don't know if it's if you guys have other mechanisms for people to support you, but I was not bloody impressed with the amount of people supporting you over there. So any of uh, Grow America Show's li uh, listeners right now, go and spend a dollar or a couple of dollars a month for Christ's sake. There are so many people in the independent media who are doing fantastic work with this sort of stuff. 
and uh, but then you, you ha- and they're not really being supported. But then you have a look at people talking about I don't know fucking how to get bigger tits or um, get bigger muscles and biceps, and they're being supported by thousands of people. So look, honestly, we need we need a hell of a lot of better. Um, focus and support in this community and you guys can start by spending a dollar a bloody month for the Grow America show. Um, we're rather, I'd rather just rebranded my podcast so um, and only just started a Patreon page. So that's going to take a long time to, to develop, I imagine. But we did get our first Patreon the other day. I don't think it matters that she's a friend of ours. So <laughs> but we'll, see, we'll see what happens with that. Um, we're not too fussed about it. Um, but yeah, the, if you want to look at the um, essentially, we want, we just want to have some fun, have a good conversation, have these sorts of conversations. These are the conversations I like to have and to bring sort of greater awareness around all these different levels and sort of have a look at it multi multifacetedly. Um, but yeah, our, my previous podcast called Redesigning Society, I've interviewed people like Elaine Ingham, Soil, Jeff Lawton, Permaculture, um, Gordon, you know, your Gordon Whites and your um, Max Egan's. Greg Braden, um, yeah. Sorry, I thought you had Greg Braden on, or one of these guys too, or, or yeah, I've had. No, I've had Greg Braden on twice. Um, I'll be having Lynn McTaggart coming up. Um, she does the group intention stuff, and also um, she wrote the field. So I really look forward to that interview. Um, Dean Raiden and Richard Shaw Drake, and lots of great people on that podcast. So we're going to continue to do that, but also do. Um, this this general conversation with Nicole. and Nicole brings a great energy to it. I'm sick of hearing the sound of my own voice, so <laughs> you know she brings a, a nice female touch to it all. We, we, and we we actually do a lot of banter. We sort of pick on each other in light ways to bring a bit of humour to the situation. So if anyone is, is interested, Mad Magic available on all iTunes, all that sort of stuff, any of your podcast apps. My website is pushingthetippingpoint.com. Um, that houses basically all my articles. I'm not being too active in my article stuff at the moment, but there's a great uh, archive of stuff there if you're interested. It's also where you can purchase my book, and it's also where I'll be putting the links to um, the podcast. I think that's about it, guys. Uh, I mentioned the website, YouTube, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, right Appreciate on. You having and, me on the show. Yeah, we'll yeah, put we'll put all that chat. stuff in the show notes for everybody as well, so they can just go into the show notes and click on the links. And uh, yeah, we thanks the for the kind words, bright. and and uh, we'll yeah, hopefully people can support you as well and buy your book. It's an awesome book. I loved it. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. You should check it out too, Darren. And uh, yeah, Do you have it a hard copy. Yeah. Uh, no, I got a PDF. So send it to me, and I'll put All it right. in the voice. All tree. right, awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. I really yeah, appreciate it. Was it. it was very, very helpful. Uh, very helpful stuff. I think it's good important, timing. important work. Good timing. How do you mean? Well, it's always good timing. I'm in the middle of doing some self reflection, <laughs> so <laughs> this is just what Darren needed to hear right now. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, that's right. I, I did. I did think you were fishing there for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a bit of a fisherman. I. Yeah. <laughs> well, as that old saying goes, and I do love it. I, I, there are some great cliches out there, including "You got to love yourself before you can love anybody else." It's yeah. absolutely true. You've yeah. really got to appreciate yourself. But it's all the other one is um, don't uh, what is it? You don't catch some fish for people. You teach them how to fish. Whatever that saying is, yeah. Yeah. Um, really important. It's great to have that guidance, but ultimately we need to do it for ourselves. We need to take. Um, full responsibility ourselves and have a good fucking crack at life because otherwise we're wasting such a grand opportunity. You bet. Right on, buddy. Yeah. 
Right on, Phil. Well, enjoy what's left of your, uh, I guess it's winter over there, eh? Tough break. Nah, it's still, still autumn. Oh, that's not too bad then. Hmm. Uh, no, it's beautiful weather at the moment. Yeah. But we've got the fireplace going every night and one of the most simplest things. So these are the sort of things that you can really start to value in your life. For example, if you are feeling a little less grateful about things, I just love to make fires, like not in a pyromaniac type of way. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the simple process of creating a fire, uh, it's just so meditative. It's unbelievable. And I've been practicing meditation for um, – 15 years, not religiously, just on and off. Um, I realized through the journey that I could meditate in action, such as mindfulness about how you actually uh, organize yourself, your mind, as you're actually living your, your moment. Um, how, you, meditation how, you, is, how you rub two sticks together to create your fire out there in Australia? No, mate, we've got lighters <laughs> just like this. <laughs> that's a very good, med- that's that's a good meditative process if you want to try it that way. Yeah. I don't even know if I've actually ever tried that, man. So I'm going to have to give yeah, that a go. You fucking cuss a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Well, look, you know, I, I I appreciate the the potency and power of that word. So hopefully your audience does. Oh too. no, I mean when you're trying to light a fire with two fucking oh, right, sticks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, man, I I agree that med- the meditation and and the mindfulness is important as well as compassion and the gratefulness. I mean, I think those are those are the keys. It's all about the love, baby. Yeah. And the and good the vibes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the contentment. Awesome. Yeah. Right, right on, on Phil. Well, thanks right, for coming thanks, on Phil. the show and come back anytime. Excellent. I'm, I'm going to have you guys on our podcast soon, so look uh, forward to that too. Yeah, that sounds, sounds awesome. Good. Thanks, sounds buddy. good. Okay, ciao okay, for bye now. Guys. Okay, see ya. Peace. That was our chat with uh, Philip J. Watt. That was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, smart dude. Yeah, it was a fun one. Where'd you find him? He found us? No, uh, another listener. It's, no, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like how the, you know, I was listening to the YouTube thing preparing for it and he had, and he had mentioned us in there, which was crazy when that happens when he's talking about. You know, your podcast favorites like THC and Skeptical and all, and then he mm. mentions us, which was fantastic. And But, yeah, it was ultimately a listener. And I know Michael was uh, following his work recently as well. Michael brought him up, and then and uh, he was on Skeptical as well recently. But I honestly, I don't remember what. I think I've seen that mind unleashed around a little bit here and there yeah. as well. So yeah. yeah, big thanks to Philip for coming on the show. Check out his stuff. Check out his Patreon. And like you said, check out our Patreon. Support the show. Yeah, that's good. We appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Um, of course that's over at grandamerica.ca slash support do all the other stuff in the show notes there's a bunch of stuff that's free that you should have done by now and if you haven't just do it now and you'll feel better you'll feel more authentic after you review the show rate the show share the show and donate to the show did you catch my question to him yeah I did my, yeah okay good yeah you pointed at me how could I miss it you fuck <laughs> fucking point you right from fucking eyeballs maybe maybe the trauma has to do with people pointing at you maybe you really have a fucking source spot with that <laughs> Maybe I'll break that little fingers of yours. <laughs> right on, guys. Well, uh, yeah. It's already broken. Check it all out. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Rebecca, I never meant to hurt your feelings. I say a prayer for you need stained glass church ceilings. Looking back on it, we were young. Wander lost, got the best of us. 
Now it wasn't just a gust of wind that took away my best friend in the world. Now it wasn't just a gust of wind that took away my best friend. Tragic Cupid swooped in on hurricane wings, stole from me my heartstrings, stole from me my heartstrings. Still, I'm stuck. Yeah. 
Thank you. 